0: Hey now, we are Getting Over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, just a few days removed from WWE Survivor Series War Games. And we are here to not only take a second look back at that show, including the shocking return of CM Punk to WWE, but of course we will also be breaking down everything that happened across Monday Night Raw and SmackDown this week. At the beginning of this show, pretty much every week, I tell you, we have a loaded episode ahead. Folks, I don't know If we've ever had a more loaded episode than the one we do today, I fully recognize coming out of WWE Survivor Series, and I promise I'll stop with the drop. I know I overdid it on the incident analysis, but I understand coming out of that show, we promised you we were going to take a deep dive into CM Punk's return to WWE on this episode, and I promise what we're about to do is deliver for you. Before we get into all of that, allow me to kick this show off as we always do, with a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about defy. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves
1: and go back to being a mark for me. Please
0: go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, yours truly, Vintage, Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And I've said so many times, I know how many people listen and I know how many reviews we have. Those numbers are nowhere close. We just passed Thanksgiving. It's been a while since we've had a new five-star written review. Please, folks, leave those. They are super important for us. I would not mention it every show if they were not. Also, please remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You also get to vote in pre and post show polls surrounding premium live events. And I've actually posted a poll on Monday that many of you got a chance to answer that will factor into our conversation on today's show. Please also remember, I happen to love the number... And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling. You get exclusive news posts and more. I did a couple free ones over the weekend. We also had a Cyber Monday special. I decided to extend that through Uh, We're going to do Wednesday at midnight, so anyone who still wants to sign up for that, you have the opportunity. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash over. but we would love for you to support the show, and we're giving you some great additional content over there. One more time, buymeacoffee.com slash over. Now, normally, this is the time I'd get right into the show, but we actually have a special thing to talk about today. I want to send a couple special shout-outs to Sharon Shaked, and I apologize if I butchered that last name maybe Shakid, and her brother, Tomer. They are two of our surprisingly many listeners who happen to live in Israel, and Tomer is in the army. He hasn't been home in a long time. It's his birthday this week, and considering Sharon DM'd us that we are, quote-unquote, Chris, the best podcast in the world, I mean, how am I gonna do anything but wish Tomer a happy birthday and hope that he and their family remain safe over there in Israel? Thanks to both of you for being Such loyal listeners. I know this is a very minor thing that I can do, but both of you, we acknowledge you.
1: Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge.
0: And Chris, I thought some of the tweets that we got Saturday night all the way into Monday were really funny and interesting. They wanted us to talk about the show. One of them came from Mr. Brendan23, telling us we need to stop doing our real jobs and get into the instant analysis. For Survivor Series War Games, that's how badly uh, some people wanted to hear that. Obviously, I got all of your tweets. Everyone out there listening to the show asking about CM Punk and Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre, things that happened on Survivor Series, the instances of storyline that went down Monday night on Raw. We're going to talk about all of that today. I love the interactions. I wish I was able to match that enthusiasm that you had live in the moment and discuss it live. We just couldn't. It's rivalry week or it was rivalry week in college football. We were both immensely busy. Real life got in the way. Shit happens that, of course, this moment was on week 13 of the college football season as opposed to, I don't know, two weeks from now, right? When it's just the Army-Navy game and the Heisman and no one really cares, or at least doesn't care to the same level. Shit happens. We're going to spend every ounce of time that we need to spend on it today. And Chris, I'm pretty pumped up for this particular episode.
2: Yes, uh, there was a lot we wanted to talk about CM Punk more, but we hadn't fully processed it still because it was a bit bizarre. But also we wanted to wait to see what happened on Monday and we got a CM Punk promo. So now there was a lot more to dive into. You know, we have many CM Punk thoughts, uh, as has been documented
0: many times on this podcast, and we're going to get into all of those. No doubt about it, Chris, and not trying to bury the lead here whatsoever. We are going to spend a lot of time talking about CM Punk, but we are also here to do a WWE Survivor Series War Games second look, as we always do. So I want to go through that first, then we're going to spend the entire main event segment on CM Punk. Of course, we'll also have the good, the bad, and the ugly for you on today's show. So again, WWE Survivor Series War Games second look. Three items that I wanted to mention that don't have a home under the individual matches. First, this premium live event was impressively successful, given there was no bloodline story whatsoever. Like, yeah, Jay Uso was in a match and there was a little twinge of something with Randy Orton there. but it was not bloodline centric. It may have been the best show without bloodline involvement that they've put together in a long time. I also completely overlooked it on the instant analysis but R-Truth got a legitimately nuclear pop from the crowd when he appeared in a backstage Ruffles segment. Go back and listen to it, like watch it again. They went wild for him being in a storyline commercial. I couldn't believe it. Good for him, great to have him back. And lastly, I loved the small stage. WWE just feels so much more alive when they fit as many people as they possibly can into an arena, between the visuals, The vibes, it felt like if you had doubled the number of signs and added some camera flashes, that would have been an Attitude Era crowd. They were immense in Chicago. Yeah, they overdid the CM Punk chance throughout the show, but you got to give them credit. They were hyped the entire time.
2: Yeah, you know, there's a long history with that arena and those Chicago fans. And we talked about how they had like record ticket sales almost for SmackDown and for things like It's a hot product, especially in Chicago. The fans backed it up and it is interesting that the basically almost all the premium live events now at this point are becoming like small sets, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially the stadium ones outside of WrestleMania. And it's I, I like it. It almost feels like an early attitude era. Set up. If you go back and watch like WrestleMania 14, you know, back in the day when it's just there was there wasn't a big titan drawn and everything. So it's it's kind of like Triple H has brought it back to that period when the biggest shows don't have all the bells and whistles and it makes you rely on the crowd more. And when you have a crowd like that, it totally works.
0: Completely agree. It It was just outstanding in Chicago. And I think the more often that they can truly sell out arenas and push that many tickets going with a smaller set like that, really for every event except WrestleMania. WrestleMania is the only one where you need the pageantry of the set. But for everything else, if you're gonna pack people into an arena like they did, I think it was Allstate Arena in Chicago, you gotta do it. Let's move to the men's War Games match. Obviously, it was Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins, Sami Zayn, Jey Uso, and Randy Orton against Judgment Day and Drew McIntyre. I did not realize how loud the CM Punk chants were at the start of the match. I'd say that they were the by far, most audible and sustained ones over the two days in Chicago. Most of the others got drowned out quick. Those did not. You more than I, Chris, downplayed the story in the men's match, at least compared to the women. I agree that it did not have as strong of an in-ring match story, but there were a ton of elements there that played into individual and group dynamics. Obviously, Jay and Randy. We also got Rollins and Balor, Priest and McDonough, and more. So I did end up on rewatch noticing a lot more story elements in the match than I did initially. Orton, he is starting to show his age facially, but holy shit, did this dude come back yoked out of his mind. Yeah. He walked out for that match and again Monday in a t-shirt. I thought he ate Brock Lesnar or something. This guy, holy shit. I mean, he had 18 months off and clearly he had to get his back healthy but man, Orton is, Orton's out there right now. Somebody had said, somebody tweeted me, I forgot who it was, sorry, but they said,
2: we may need to start using the big meaty men drops for Randy, Randy Orton. Orton. <laughs> and I, and I think that's fair. I think that's accurate. And and there was a comment on commentary Monday that, uh, he he's, uh, he's like lifting less heavy weights in terms of, they were talking about the way he's exercising more. And I was like, I don't know how you get that jacked without doing heavy weights. So I, well, I there is a way. There, dude, I promise you there's a
0: dude, way. <laughs> dude, dude looks enormous. Yeah. He, more more than more than ever before. More than before. Uh, we discussed the finish of the match, uh, not being the super avalanche RKO on McDonough, but rather Rhodes beating Priest. It ultimately made even more sense in storyline than I realized in the moment. So Orton wanted Cody, his friend, also the team captain, to get the win in his father's match, and Damien was the captain of the other team. Randy and Cody, they had a real nice moment in the ring, both before the finish and after the finish. And then during the press conference afterward, Rhodes legitimately got teary-eyed talking about what Orton means to him, and how he probably wouldn't even have a career if it wasn't for Orton, including him in Legacy and that whole storyline. So that, to me, made a lot more sense why they did it on rewatch. And certainly, when Cody kind of teared up, it was like, okay, this was a moment. It was... Yeah, it was kayfabe and it did make sense in kayfabe, but it was also a lot of reality between them. And I thought that was pretty cool. And lastly, Cody had a lot of fun uh, impersonating Triple H in the press conference. He put glasses (laughs) on. He was monotone. He talked about the numbers of the show. And then he made a comment. Oh, that's just the EVP enemy coming out. So I really, you don't have to watch Cody's entire press conference. I mean, you should, because I actually thought it was really entertaining. Really, I thought the entire press conference from start to finish was entertaining. But I would definitely watch Cody impersonating Triple H. I thought that was fun.
2: And it was notable that they opened the press conference for Triple H. He normally closes it. And I imagine the reason was they wanted Triple H to address the CM Punk questions that he was going to get before anybody else. And yeah, it was Cody's press conferences are always really fun and he does a really good job with them. Um, and yeah, I, I haven't rewatched the whole show. I've been extremely busy the last couple of days, but uh, glad you pointed those things out.
0: Yeah, for sure. And in terms of a grade, I'm at an A still for the match. I forgot if I could say it four five or four but five, but it was an A match. No question. Women's War Games, uh, Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, Shotzi and Becky Lynch against damage control. I actually straight up, I rewatched this match twice. That's how much I enjoyed it. It's massively underrated, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe the most underrated WWE match of the entire year. I don't give a shit usually about like cage match ratings and the fact that Tony Khan ever references them is just such an eye roll to me. But I checked. I want. I was curious. What do most people think about this match? Those voters have it a full half point below the men's match, which I don't get. I thought this was easily match of the night. I'm keeping my grade four point seven five stars, A plus. The faces having the advantage and then dominating the final sequence, that's the only demerit. Everything else about the match for me completely worked. A fun detail I missed is Becky was the only one not dressed like the rest of her team, so she could stand out and be the individualistic type of person that she is. I also liked how they got Dakota Kai involved, despite her not being able to wrestle. Io Sky is the all-time War Games MVP. She's the genius of War Games, the queen of War Games. You pick the moniker, The match completely changed its intensity level as soon as she entered and did that springboard missile dropkick. Her combining with Kairi Sane for the pop-up insane elbow, that was my favorite single move of the entire show, even above the Super Avalanche RKO. I just thought it was so inventive and cool. Bailey was the MVP on Saturday. The wrestling was on point. The storytelling was perfect. They've done a great job with her the last couple of months. Uh, Io, Asuka, and Kairi together, they look so damn cool. And yes, Chris, I double-checked. Kyrie sitting up in the corner, not helping Bailey after being saved by her one hundred percent part of the story. It was way too blatant not to be. She was in the camera frame the entire time. Bailey's gonna be a baby face soon. I have a few more, but anything you wanted to say about any of that uh
2: not much uh, other than obviously the match was great. I'm glad you went back and watched the Kyrie sane part because that was a question I had afterward was like right. c- could she have broken it up or or not and it seems like
0: that is going to continue to play into things. Uh, Bianca went in with her braids. It was a really cool match element, I noticed. Everyone grabbed a weapon, but she didn't have to because she had the braids. On that note, I loved how Io used the chain and made that unique to her throughout the entire match. And even better than both of those was Kairi. I did not realize that the trash can lid was supposed to be the wheel of a ship playing into her pirate obsession. Oh. At one point during the match, she grabbed it and turned it like it was a wheel. And that's why she <laughs> that's why she used that particular weapon and was so effective. It also played into the fact that she uses a back fist and she was able to do the back fist with the wheel. So insanely smart. I, I can't believe I didn't pick that up initially. Uh, I also, a little mea culpa, I got the mist spot totally wrong. I said it was botched, wrong. They executed it perfectly. The mist was meant for Shotzi who ducked and then Belair got Asuka with the fire extinguisher. I thought it was supposed to be Belair and Asuka with like the fire extinguisher counteracting the mist directly like it would in like a video game mm. or a movie. So I got that wrong. Speaking of Shotzi, she showed out, looked like she belonged, no question. Uh, the crowd was real annoying chanting for tables throughout the match. But when Asuka faked them out and then pulled out the table, I want everyone listening to go back and listen to that. The pop for the table was ridiculous. It was like our truth and the table were the two most surprising pops of the entire night. That speaks to how hot the crowd was, but also they might've done it on purpose knowing they would chant like that for tables because fans are stupid and they love tables more than anything else. And then lastly, Becky and Charlotte were immensely cute together in the press conference uh, saying their relationship was akin to them dating now, getting to know each other again. I told you it's immensely compelling to me. Also, I'll make this point again later, but Charlotte is so much more likable when she's just being herself, when she's Ashley. That's what they need to lean into more when she's a baby face, not that she's the same, you know, Charlotte character but just helping the good guys instead of the bad guys. They need to make her Ashley on TV and I think she would get over massively as a face.
2: I completely agree. I think she's been great in this little team that they've done the last few weeks. When she's when she's not involved in the title or not like overshadowing one person who she's trying to elevate like a Shotzi situation, it totally works. When she's with Bianca and Asuka and and Bailey and people who are on her level, uh just status-wise, uh, it stands out more and she's more relaxed. Like you can tell, you can tell she was having a lot of fun doing these things these last couple weeks where it's not all on her. And I think that's really something to try to build
0: on. Yeah, totally agree with you. Uh, Women's World Championship, Rhea Ripley, Zoe Stark. This was extremely well done. I was so busy with football. I missed that Ripley's look was awesome and like ridiculously eye-catching, even with the ruined makeup, the chaps, the black and white aesthetic. She just looked amazing. I'm keeping my grade at 3.5 stars B, but I can understand if someone goes down a quarter star from that because it wasn't a spectacular match by any means. Uh, Did you have anything on this? Uh, Other than, I I still thought it was a
2: Trish Stratus look that Rhea had, but nobody else seemed to think so, so (laughs) I guess I was wrong.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Intercontinental Championship, Gunther and The Miz. I thought it was funny that CM Punk returned to WWE, and suddenly we had an entire match of Bret Hart references, even though this happened before Punk showed up. It was fantastic. I thought it was appropriately timed at 12 minutes. Miz got enough to make winning believable, but Gunther dominated as he needed to against a guy who just cannot match up to him from a size or technique standpoint. I liked this even more on rewatch than I did initial viewing, but I'm keeping my grade 3.75 stars B+. You have anything on this one?
2: It's hard, it's, it's hard for Miz to feel like the underdog babyface, but it
0: totally worked here in this, this feud, this match, and I think that's why everybody bought into it. Yeah, for sure. Santos Escobar and Dragon Lee. This similarly stood up to my initial thoughts on second watch. I missed that the crowd actually chanted, fuck you, Santos, which for a guy who just turned heel, that's damn impressive, even if it was a Chicago crowd. Escobar did great heel work throughout. I'm actually going to downgrade this though from what I initially had. I'm going to go 3.5 stars in a B. It was neither long enough nor intense enough to be higher. Slight change, but it was still a super fun match.
2: Uh, No other thoughts. I, I haven't rewatched it.
0: Okay. And then lastly, I wanted to go into... Triple H is part of the post-Survivor Series press conference. So Paul made some real interesting comments on Jade Cargill when he was asked about her progress and why she wasn't on TV. He said, WWE is making sure she's ready no matter what is thrown at her. And quote, through no fault on her own, she was limited in that. Totally fair point. She was pigeonholed in AEW. Jade needs to be able to cut promos on her own Without saying bitch, she needs to be able to stay in the ring for long segments where she works with multiple other people, and she is not always the focus of attention. She needs to learn how to work as a character other than being a dominant, undefeated champion. And she needs to be able to work matches that go longer than 10 minutes against top talent. These are all areas she needed to learn or improve upon when she joined WWE, and because of that, I have found it so strange how the same people who said she needed to go to NXT for a year and learn and grow and improve are now wondering why she isn't already on SmackDown after like 2 months. Granted, WWE is the one who put her on live TV and teased her on the big shows, but Correct. it was always clear to me, Chris, and we had this conversation here, they were celebrating the signing. They weren't suggesting her debut was imminent. I don't know, why I said debut her debut. I don't know. They they were never suggesting her debut was imminent. Did you think otherwise, or do you kind of agree with me in that way? No, I think it's a totally fair question after
2: the way it's not just, oh, she signed. Oh, she walks out of the limo. She's backstage. She's face to face with Charlotte. There, there's a couple other face to face interactions. They made it feel like it was imminent. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which I didn't think it should be. We, we both said when she signed, like, I would you can announce it. That's fine. But keep her out of the spotlight for a while until you're ready to bring her up. I was surprised how many episodes of Raw and SmackDown we saw her on uh, only for it to kind of start to go away. That, that like so I can understand why people thought it was imminent. I, I don't think that would have been the correct move, but that's why I've been surprised by the way WWE promoted her so much in the weeks after the signing. So, okay, no, so I
0: think it was fair. So you agree, so you think it was WWE's fault that people now yes. have this perception. And that's fair, I, I accept yeah. that. I never assumed that, just because they consistently said like, she's going to be in NXT, not in NXT, at the WWE Performance Center. She's gonna be training, gonna be doing all these things. They posted photos of her doing that. So to me, it was almost just like promoting this talent that we have. Yeah, that was- funny. I never took it that way. I never took it like she was gonna debut soon. I didn't
2: until they had her face to face with Charlotte and a couple other people backstage like it, it it wasn't it was weeks after the signing they kept doing it so that's why it felt like it was imminent and I was surprised I would, I, I didn't think she would have been ready so uh no when when you're putting her backstage face to face with Charlotte and some other people and talking her up like you think she's coming she's on television doing stuff it's not okay. it was a lot more than just an announcement
0: Fair enough I totally take that I also wanted to point out I really did find Paul Iveck to be quite impressive uh, in this particular press conference. A lot of times he just kind of says nothing when he's being interviewed, but he was peacocking here. His chest was out. He was immensely confident in what WWE is doing creatively and how it's doing it. And I found this clip particularly interesting because it's something we talk about all the time.
1: You know, these matches can be just, um, action, action, um, extravaganza but to me that doesn't do anything um it's in the storylines and the action has to match it a movie with just a bunch of crazy good cgi is not very good yeah i mean this
0: is what we talk about all the time right like wwe creative has been so much better now under triple h not just because more people are getting featured and the matches are longer and there's better wrestling and all this but the creative doesn't insult our intelligence and The creative is woven throughout the fabric of the matches, and everything that happens on television or on premium live events generally happens for a reason. That's going to be really important when we speak about CM Punk in a moment because of his main event promo on Raw Monday night. Now, Triple H was primarily talking about men's war games specifically here, and I do believe you could juxtapose men's war games, and I'm not going to make this show. This This show and this podcast is not WWE versus AEW, never has been, is never going to be. But just based on what he was talking about here, if you juxtapose men's war games with blood and guts, they are the same general structure, the same general match concept handled completely differently for, I wouldn't even say completely different audiences, but varied audiences. There's a different, you know, dynamic of people going to an AEW show, what they expect, going to a WWE show, what they expect. And I I think what's so interesting and entertaining, being a viewer of both products, but we're talking about WWE here, is how they and Triple H are putting together the right types of matches, booked the right way with the right type of storylines for their audience. And it's why I thought both War Games matches, the men and the women, just completely delivered on Saturday night.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, first off, I, I hate the, and you're not doing this, but but there's a general notion in a lot of the WWE versus AEW talk that there's either storylines or there's action, and one does one and one does the other, and, and the reality is both do both. I mean, I mean, the the the, the, the ideal is that you get a mix of the combination of storylines and action. That's how it all works. So it sometimes it's too simplified by people. Your your comparison to blood and guts is spot on. Uh, I've, I've been to one of the blood and guts in person. And what I remember from that is Sammy Guevara jumping off the top of the cage onto a table outside. Like it's about those big spots and you compare that with what EO does and it's similar, but safer and within kind of a story. And I, I think you're right. It is working and there was a story. I'm glad you went back and noted the story that was told in the men's match, but we knew the story that was told in the women's match and how it was told well and that's just that's how you connect that's how you that's it, it you might remember the big spot but you're going to continue to be invested when there is that connection and when there is that story yeah and that totally. is that and that is what they're always trying to build you, you do the big show how what's the next show what's the next show and i think sometimes AEW will have the big spot the great match and there's not a follow up there. Like there wasn't a swerve hangman follow up to their death match. And it's like that's that's the storyline mm-hmm. part that's important mm-hmm. in the match, but also coming out of the match and what happens next. And I think that's what Triple H is always trying to talk about, even when there's a finish that people don't like when Cody loses at WrestleMania. you know He says, you know, there's more coming. And, and that's how you keep people coming back.
0: Uh, you're making me upset because I, I only cut half of a clip that I originally had. Uh, For Triple H. That's what he said in the second half of the clip. He basically was like, it's not just about telling the story going into the match and during the match, but leaving enough elements that happen once that final bell rings or, you know, in a post-match type of segment that leaves you wondering, okay, what's next? Where is this going to go? And wanting to tune in for that. And that very much happened with War Games. We were questioning about Damian Priest and Drew McIntyre and and what happens with Judgment Day now, right? And then they gave us, which we're going to talk about momentarily, the Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre stuff in the post-match. And was that at work? Was that real? We're going to get to that. But you, you had all those questions coming out of Survivor Series. And what did that lead to? What did we all talk about? Gotta watch Raw on Monday night. That's what it's all about. When you leave a premium live event, I've been saying this as long as I've been podcasting about wrestling. When you leave a premium live event, the singular most important item is not, was that show individually great? It is, do I want to continue watching the product? And do I have a passionate reason to make sure I tune in the following Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever the case might be? And Survivor Series War Games undoubtedly gave us that. With all of that said, Chris, it is officially time to move out of that second look segment and into the way we always start the Getting Over Wrestling podcast by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. So as you well know by now, and if you don't already, surprise, CM Punk made a shocking return to WWE on Saturday night at the end of Survivor Series War Games. Now we spent a good 15 minutes discussing the moment on our instant analysis podcast, But as I mentioned earlier, we promised to dig much deeper into that news today, and you know here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we always deliver on our promises. That's exactly what we're about to do right now. There are so many ways to unpack this story. We're going to take it in sections. Let's start with how CM Punk returning to WWE came about. Now, I can actually confirm reports this decision was solely in the hands of Nick Khan and Triple H. Vince McMahon was not involved, and only those required knew it was happening. This, let's be very clear, was the biggest WWE return since The Rock came back 12 years ago. Insane. However, Triple H was a bit disingenuous during the press conference when he shared how quickly it came together and how few people knew. WWE, let's be very clear, they had merchandise ready. They had an entire entrance package. They had a remastered version of Cult of Personality. Now, there have been clear hints on TV for weeks. And even if some of those were just done for fun, Triple H allowing them to happen meant he knew something was at least possible. And on that note about Cult of Personality, Chris, the remaster, I don't know if you noticed it. It's a different version of the track. It does not hit the same for me. It's like it lost its teeth this isn't like another band covered the song. It's still Living Color. Now, maybe I'm going to get used to it. And there's probably reasons that this happened. It's possible AEW has the rights to the original song for a period of time or WWE had to use the remaster because Living Color wanted them to. It's a nitpick, but I thought it was worth mentioning that it just, the song itself did not hit the same as the original. Completely agree. I absolutely
2: noticed it. It doesn't, like you said, doesn't have the teeth. I didn't like, I didn't love his AEW version either because it plays the longer, drawn-out yes. intro, which is how the actual song goes. Mm-hmm. But it worked so well in WWE because it got right to the point. It was, you know, diddle-a-da-da, diddle-a-da-da. open your eyes. What do you see? Like we get into it. It was too delayed in AEW, and now you've got the one in WWE that doesn't feel right. I'll I'll just start off the top of this. Everything about CM Punk's return on Monday Night Raw felt weird, (laughs) like just just weird, not good or bad necessarily. Just weird from his shirt, his haircut, the music. Yeah, it just all was different than the last time we saw him in WWE and the song, the entrance music, a, a definite part of that. I'm very curious as to why.
0: But you're right. It's not quite the same thing. And I I don't like it as much. The, yeah. the original completely worked. Now, we're going to get to Raw, I promise you, but it's going to be a while. So we're still talking Saturday and the fallout from Saturday. I can also confirm reports just to wrap up this little section, like I promised, uh, that the wrestlers involved in the men's War Games match 100% to a person knew that Punk was showing up. I have two sources confirming that. This pokes into something that we're going to talk about in a minute. But Triple H is smart enough not to make a move like this without ensuring that his roster, at least those names who matter the most, are on board. He's not stupid enough to like lose current stars or ruin locker room cohesion, which is better than it's been in who knows how long, right? Just to bring Punk aboard. Triple H respects the wrestlers. He respects them as co-workers, as peers. He understands the importance of backstage harmony. It's what we hear about constantly as one of the reasons why the product has turned around so much beyond the creative improvement. And that's hugely important as we continue in this segment to contextualize this return.
2: Yeah. Are, are you telling me that Seth Rollins flipping out on CM Punk the way he did was uh, actually part of the show? <laughs> uh, you're right. Like, of, of course, they were. Gonna, you're not going to surprise people in the ring with something. This is a professionally run. Correct. Operation, uh, of course they knew, and you're right. The The thing to remember about the Triple H press conferences, and like you said, like we got to remember, he's a wrestler, he's still working you, and that doesn't mean everything he says in the press conference uh, is necessarily 100% accurate. They had merch ready, they had everything set up and ready to go. I don't right. think that came together, you know, a few days before, as it was kind of trying to be alluded to. Yes, I'm sure it was kept under wraps to a totally. good amount of yes. people, but. Those clues had been dropped. We, You pointed them out on this podcast a few weeks ago about the CM Punk references and promos being dropped. And, and Triple H said there was a lot of speculation about it a couple weeks, months ago, but it was just speculation. Only when the speculation died down did it start to become real. I don't think I buy that. I think that's exactly what they wanted to happen. They wanted right. it to go away. Exactly. So then, when he came, so exactly. when they came back, oh, it's a big, they got the surprise that this they is what they
0: did. Let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. Yeah. The speculation died down. Then they announced Randy Orton, and everyone's like, oh, I guess he's not showing up. And then they give you CM Punk. That is why the reaction transpired the way it did. The roof blew off that arena. I'm not saying it wouldn't have if it was heavily rumored and teased like AEW did with the first dance or any of that type of stuff, maybe it would have been the exact same reaction. But the way WWE completely swerved everyone, and then they did the copyright logo on the screen, that all, the Randy Orton part of it, the conversations dying down, denying to the dirt sheets that they were in talks with him and telling them that they could report it, as WWE sources say, all of that was on purpose to create the moment we got Saturday night.
2: Yeah, they worked us. And I'm glad. Like, yes, that's fun. It's great. That, that, that's great. That's the enjoyable part of it. I hate all the spoilers and everybody knows what's coming. I just want to acknowledge that that's likely what they did and they did a really good job of it.
0: So let's move on now to more of a discussion topic. And on the instant analysis, Chris and I both graded this as a four out of five on a risk meter for WWE. And it must be stated and reiterated there is significant risk signing CM Punk given the way everything transpired in AEW. And I've covered that plenty here. And Chris has as well. I'm not going to relitigate the entire situation with Brawl Out, Tony Khan's fandom, bringing Punk back and building an entire show around him, despite Brawl Out, giving him a significant level of creative control for himself on that show, hiring and rehiring a steel who bit a person, et cetera. We have multiple shows that you can listen to our takes on those subjects and some of them, I was asking earlier this year, hey guys, we have to send some clips in some, for some podcast award shows. What clips should we send in? And many of you commented that the CM Punk rants should uh, be part of that. And I did submit a couple of those. So if we win any type of award, maybe that'll be the reason why. Point is, you can find them in our archives, search by date. I promise you'll enjoy them. But it's for all of those reasons, everything that did transpire in AEW, that I disagreed with something Triple H said in the press conference. And let me play that for you.
1: A lot of time has gone by, almost 10 years, right? And if you are the same person you were 10 years ago, 10 years later, you've messed up. Everybody grows. Everybody changes. Um, and I'm a different person. He's a different person. Um, this is a different company. And we're all, uh, we're all on, a, on, a, on the same even starting ground.
0: I mean, there is no doubt that in the last eight years, WWE is a completely different company. And Triple H does seem to be a changed person. Shawn Michaels, Randy Orton, these people all changed. So his general point is correct. But we don't have proof that CM Punk has grown over the last 10 years. And I really wish someone in that moment had followed up asking that because he had significant problems in AEW that were extremely public. And I know they would not have been discussed. And CM Punk specifically can't. He probably signed an NDA as part of his release agreement one would assume but i did feel like what triple h said there just wasn't necessarily accurate but what i think chris is the most salient point when discussing the AEW tenure and what it means for cm punk's return to wwe is this and it's something i've said before it's just clear to me that cm punk neither respected tony khan nor AEW as a whole and really Why would he, when Tony bent over backwards for him at every juncture? Khan never gave Punk a reason to respect him. Punk saw AEW as a chance to get back into wrestling, get paid, maybe throw a couple birds to WWE, which he did plenty of times in promos. You could tell he felt he was a bigger star than anyone else there and deserved to be treated as such. He may have appreciated Tony for hiring him and paying him well. He didn't respect him as a boss because he catered towards him. Every whim that he had was fulfilled. And he was never even punished for brawl out or any of his other incidents. It was obvious that he felt that way, given how he acted out at that brawl out press conference with Tony Khan literally sitting right there. And then certainly after the fact, getting in a fight, whoever's fault it was with the other EVPs of the company. That's not to excuse anything that Punk did in AEW. Starting fights, talking shit to coworkers, disrespecting your boss publicly, that is not okay. You all know I have criticized him endlessly with him and Tony sharing blame for what transpired over there. Let me state it plainly here, as I did all those times on the AEW shows. CM Punk deserved to be fired. He actually deserved to be fired twice. He should have been fired immediately after Brawl Out, but the fact that they bring him back is why the entire second set of issues transpired but this does explain why his AEW tenure transpired the way it did and why that is unlikely to be the case in WWE, because WWE is about the bottom line. Triple H and Punk supposedly mended fences. That's the picture that Paul Levesque painted, and it's also the picture that he posted on Twitter, which was absolutely epic. And that sounds great for now, but trust needs to be proven out through action. That said, the difference between WWE and AEW is that Punk in WWE is a talent who will be working within a system that is already on a roll without him. In AEW, he was very much made to feel like he was the system itself, trying to pull everyone else up to his level. And I think he realized pretty early on that he could manipulate that system and the person at the top of it due to his outsized fandom. Punk was in need in AEW. They needed him for ratings and ticket sales and merchandise sales and pay-per-view buys and legitimacy. He's a want in WWE. He's a nice-to-have in WWE. It's great that he's there, but WWE is rolling along doing record business without him. And should he fuck up at any point, outside of having to tweak a storyline, they're gonna cut bait real quick. There is no long leash in WWE. There may not be a leash at all. He may be held by the collar. There's no contingency plan for him, like WWE was when AEW went south. Sure, he could go to Impact, and apparently they had talks, but come on, right? The way Triple H came across in this press conference, it almost sounded to me like Punk's AEW antics were not a concern for him because, while individual talents may have disagreements with one another, That's not exclusive to Punk, but the way WWE is structured, Punk having a full understanding that this is the stage and he must abide by the rules, the strength of the locker room, the corporate environment, the safeguards to prevent issues. These are all things that are blatant differentiators between WWE and AEW. Not only that, the company, like we just mentioned, is completely different from the one that he left, particularly when it came to his biggest issues, which were medical And creative, it's a night and day difference from eight years ago, Chris. I think Punk recognizes that. I think WWE and Triple H recognize that, and that is why I think there's risk involved. And it's totally fair to say, hey, this guy needs to prove that he's trustworthy. He can't just say it; it's all lip service. But that is why this has a greater chance of working than his time in AEW did.
2: Yeah, going going back to the the change part. Triple H saying we've changed as a company, all all that was true. And I think his relationship with the people within WWE has changed. And it didn't just change. We remember he was on that Fox show for a while talking about WWE. That was as that was almost a bigger step I think than than this uh when when he was doing that backstage show whatever it was. And then there was I think it was earlier this year I think where he reportedly showed up at, on one of the shows and Talked to some people, was friendly. He has apparently made up with the Miz. And so, like, I think Triple H is trying to emphasize that part. But you can't say CM Punk has changed, right? When five months ago he tried to fight his boss. Three. Three. It was, the, three <laughs> it was the, it was the, who's all in ago.
0: was three months ago. It's wild.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, in, in, in Punk says it in his promo and we'll get to that. But I can't, I don't believe for, I can't believe yet for a second that Punk has changed until we see it. However, all the guardrails and everything is up, like you said, and I'm sure that they will be quick to cut bait if they need to. And I'll I'll get to another point I want to make when we get to the promo part of kind of the general feel of all of this. But I will say that I don't think it's unfair to say that CM Punk's best work of his career happened in WWE. And we go back to his... Pro is promo when he first showed up in AW, and he says whatever date that was that he left ROH, he left professional wrestling, and now he's back in professional wrestling. And I think you see the way everything transpired in AW is that he, he while he is perceived to be the off-the-cuff, you never know what he's going to do type of guy, that only works or that works best in the context of being in a major corporation mm-hmm. and it, you couldn't, he couldn't be the voice of the voiceless in AEW when he had an entire show to himself and was the biggest star there. And so I think this is uh there there's a good opportunity to do a lot of stuff here. I think uh, his, his time in WWE is going to be remembered differently. And we'll get into that more when he talks about what he said in the promo.
0: Yeah. Those are excellent points there before we get into You know, Monday night, still some other things to talk about. But yeah, you absolutely nailed it. I do want to point out, and again, this is not about what happened Monday. This is just coming out of uh, Saturday. Punk returning to WWE in every way does make him a hypocrite. Like, forget the kayfabe aspect of that. The reality aspect is what I'm talking about. And you can pick your poison when it comes to him going back on things that he has said previously. Whether you want to point out all his comments about WWE following his exit years ago, or more recent quips. It's up to you. You can pick dealer's choice. He called Miz a fucking dork on Twitter, telling him to quote, suck a blood money covered dick, referring to the Saudi Arabia deal. That was four years ago. Let's not forget, he was on WWE backstage. He got heat while he was there. In an AEW promo, he told MJF to leave AEW and go main event night four of a buy one, get one free extravaganza, only so he could get released later. I could keep going, obviously, Chris, but it needed to be said. So let's not get twisted what him coming back to WWE is. That is, it's hypocritical. And I think even he would admit as much if he was asked honestly. In fact, not to jump ahead, I think that's where we might be going storyline-wise. But back to reality. The question is, why come back? And for me, it's three-pronged. One, WWE is like his spite store. Anyone who watches Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> understands what I'm saying. That flows into number two, which is revenge. We know what intrinsically motivates Punk. The guy has always, his entire career, been fueled by doubters and anger. I'm not comparing him to Michael Jordan, who is a true goat. But it is similar. That's what gets them out of bed in the morning. And the third prong is money. Money. This is Punk's last legitimate shot at significant earning power in his life. Like sure, he could do commentary one day and get paid nicely or go to conventions and sign autographs, but he's 45. He's got a few years left in his body to actually wrestle. And you saw in AEW how many times his body's already failed him in doing that. People are still interested in him coming out of the AEW controversy. This is very much a strike while the iron is hot moment. And I think we all would say to ourselves, I'm not a hypocrite. I would never go back on my word. But there is always reality to deal with. You cannot predict the future. And when you combine, hey, you can get even with Tony and AEW with, and we'll pay you millions of dollars. That's really tough to turn down for a guy like CM Punk. That, that,
2: so going back to the hypocrite part, Yes, it is completely hypocritical. Uh, CM Punk, perhaps more than any other wrestler in history, has a fan base that has a parasocial relationship with him Mm -hmm. and that what happens to him impacts them personally. Yes. And I've seen a lot of fans online who felt that CM Punk, more than any other wrestler in the last 20 years, they identified with. And for him to go back to WWE after all the things he said and did let them down and that's completely understandable it's also why I recommend not having parasocial relationships with celebrities Uh, one other thing going back to the change part a lot of the change that has happened in WWE is because of CM Punk the way he left Mm -hmm. in the podcast that he put out with Colt Cabana before everything blew up there like that did lead to legitimate changes within WWE the lawsuit with the doctor and all kinds of stuff so so it, it was necessary and he is coming back to a new place. And so, yes, he is completely being hypocritical here. I think I'll I'll just say it here. And and to your point about this being CM Punk's last big run, the best way I've seen this situation described, and I think it's perfect. This is CM Punk's Vegas residency. This is the Mm going to come back, play the hits, make a lot of money, try not to ruffle any feathers because it's a pretty good deal and everyone's going to get what they want and we don't have to do anything out of control. I think that's what this may end up being uh because of his age, because of everything else and that may be a pretty good deal for everybody.
0: Did you see the uh, Elvis movie? I did, great movie. That great movie, that was massively depressing. Like you like I'm not, I'm not, that's the first thing that the way I'm contextualizing it. I know there's plenty of people who do Vegas Residencies, big time singers and magicians. And I get it. Yeah. Britney. Well, that talk about depressing. Uh, but the Elvis thing is what immediately popped in my head when you said that. And yeah, that would certainly be depressing, but it's a good point. It, it is a parallel where it's like, this is the last chance. It's, I don't think he's going to be a full-time wrestler. You know, AW, he was there every yeah. single week. I think he's yeah. going to be on a relatively limited schedule. Maybe not Brock Lesnar limited, but limited. And we already discussed previously, we won't spend more time on it here, what I suggested and what you mostly agreed with, I think, about like he should be on the Lesnar schedule, not be backstage a lot, have singular feuds and storylines, use him, and then lose him. Like, that would be the best possible way. But I digress. Look, we spent a lot of time addressing Punk's appearance at Survivor Series on the instant analysis. What we did not really get a good opportunity to dive into was what happened off the air in the post-match. So let's address both of those quickly before we get into the kayfabe of it all starting on Raw. So after Survivor Series went off the air, the faces exited War Games and Seth Rollins went off on Punk. He was screaming, yelling, cursing, saying, fuck you, and flipping him the bird. And while doing this, he was being held back by Michael Cole and Corey Graves. Now, if that doesn't tell you all you need to know, allow me. This was a clear work in the moment. And it was genius to execute it that way. So similar to what WWE did with Bray Wyatt and the White Rabbit. They allowed the internet and social media to drum up controversy and promote for them, and they doubled up here because what Rollins did could not have aired on TV because it was so vulgar. The most obvious indication was how Rollins was calm one minute and then snapped the next. Then you had Cole and Graves holding him back instead of, you know, security guards. Also, just thinking about it logically, Rollins is a professional. He would never melt down like that in front of a live crowd. And his wife wouldn't be smiling and laughing in the post-show press conference. If her (laughs) husband was that upset, they would have stormed out of the building. Best of all is probably where the storyline is headed. People badly wanted AEW to capitalize on the CM Punk elite heat for a storyline after he returned. They never did because they couldn't work together. This seems to me, Chris, like it's gonna be WWE's version of that. It's a work and it has a chance to be awesome if they execute it properly.
2: Well, like we said from the beginning, when Punk came back the second time at AW, as soon as he came back and he wasn't in a feud and storyline with the elite, it was doomed. That was the hottest thing you could possibly do with CM Punk at that time. They couldn't do it. They wouldn't do it, whatever the reasons are. And it was never going to work. And so now WWE setting up a situation where we try to have real animosity between these two guys. And you know what? We're going to lean into it. And we're going to make a lot of money with it. Yep. And that is how pro wrestling works. That's how pro wrestling has always worked. You come together for the money. That's what Triple H said in the press conference. That's what Cody Rhodes said in the press conference. And you're there to do business. Yep. And Seth Rollins knows how to do
0: business. One other quick item before we move on, because I realized this last night. I tweeted it. So Punk left AEW, Chris, as the lineal champion. In combat sports, <laughs> yeah. so in combat sports vernacular, for those who don't know, and in this case, it means he left the company having not been defeated for his championship. He dropped the AEW title, right? But remained the lineal champion because no one beat him for it. Then when he came back, he did lose to Ricky Starks, but he got his win back, meaning he regained the lineal championship of AEW. And he's also the lineal real AEW champion, although that's basically one in the same that title with the X was basically meant to represent the lineal championship. So the first person who beats Punk in WWE will be the first lineal AEW champion who is not a member of the company. I find that so fun, and it's going to be something to track going forward because who the hell knows who that could eventually be? Like, it could be Braun Breaker in five years, you know what I mean? (laughs) That would would be... Pretty fun. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. interesting. Back to Saturday night. uh, The other post match happening that drew a lot of interest, pun intended, was Drew McIntyre. We saw a video of him storming out of the ring holding his face. And there was one report from PW Insider that he slammed his locker and made a scene when he was leaving. This was immensely peculiar to me. So let's rewind a little bit. Before Survivor Series, PW Insider came out with a report about McIntyre's contract situation. Basically saying he has got about six months left. We've been reporting that they haven't really negotiated yet. And then they got into a bunch of personal stuff that was known about McIntyre. But I don't know that it was appropriate to be part of a news story about a guy's contract, something that happened personally where he may want to take time off. He might want to take time off anyway and just be a free agent and then maybe push WWE to pay him more, kind of like what Johnny Gargano did, something like that. PW Insider, let me plainly state, I respect them and they are generally nails as reporters about wrestling, but they've been carrying the water for this McIntyre contract story for like six months now, despite him having six months ago, a year left on his deal and now still six months left. And as I've previously reported on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, I'm hearing completely different things about Drew's talks with WWE and the expected offer that he's gonna receive. But anyway, on the back of the post-match report, McIntyre storms out, and we get that reported by PW Insider, the same place that did the contract story earlier in the day. If you watch the clip from the arena, Drew actively waits for the cameraman to give him a signal that it's okay for him to pass without interrupting the production. There was no reason for Drew in kayfabe to stick around in the ring. He was mad at Judgment Day. He did take two huge moves to the face. He may have legitimately been hurt, and he walked out of both Clash in the Castle and SummerSlam the exact same way. But I find it strange that only one outlet has reported this saying they think there's actual animosity, something going on, and there's been no clarification since. And then you get to Sunday at a house show, and he somewhat, by the way, why the hell did they have a house show on Sunday? But he somewhat addresses it in a promo. And then Monday night, we're going to get to the details in a little bit, but Rollins and McIntyre both refer to the post-match incidents at Survivor Series. So I really do feel, Chris, this was the same situation as Seth. Triple H and WWE working the dirt sheets with a post-match bit that played into Kfabe. I could be wrong on this with Drew, but that is what I felt. And that is what I believe, you know, coming into Raw. That's what I believed coming into Raw on Monday night.
2: Yeah, my thoughts on Drew are, are what they were in the incident analysis, which was again guys aren't going to do these types of things out in view of everybody. If it's real, um, that again, drew McIntyre is a professional. He knows what he's doing. The backstage stuff. I, I don't know. Like you said, the, the contract reporting has been a little bit weird. I think it was, uh, drew or triple H or both of them at one of the press conferences a couple shows ago. It was, it was where, triple H. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I don't know of any, uh, animosity basically or anything going on. So he kind of dismissed it as well. um, Yeah. But again, Drew shows up on on Monday doing stuff. And so it's I think it's pretty clear that this is everything's fine.
0: Yeah. at least for now, and Triple H also was like what you're referring to. He was like, I really don't know what you're talking about. We love Drew and we have big plans for him and we don't anticipate him going anywhere. So like, okay, maybe he hasn't signed a contract, but the way he's being pushed, Chris, the type of character work he's getting to do on TV. You don't do that with someone that you think is leaving in six months unless it's John Moxley, unless it's a John Moxley situation and yeah. you don't really know, but, but even yeah. so, I don't think they would be dumb enough to do that again. At least that's my take on it. I agree. I agree. Okay. So that wraps up Saturday. As far as I'm concerned, I don't think we have any other parts of this topic to cover. Let's go ahead to, I guess what's the second part of the main event, the kayfabe of it all. Let's move to raw on Monday night. What happened involving the three individuals that we just mentioned. So Seth Rollins opened hour three of raw first getting serenaded before fans started chanting CM Punk at him, so he let it happen. Rollins, who was back wearing black gloves, by the way, hint, hint, uh, he didn't want to spend another ounce of breath talking about a hypocrite when he could instead discuss elevating the World Heavyweight Championship into the industry's most important title. Fans immediately sang for him again as soon as he said that. Rollins said he was ready to go back to being a fighting champion. He met with Adam Pearce, Drew McIntyre then interrupts. McIntyre said, Shit's been crazy recently with people talking about them outside the ring. That's what I was mentioning earlier. He then offered a hand and they shook over a congratulations for the War Games victory. Drew said Jey Uso got into his head. He's ready to put him on the back burner and focus on the World Heavyweight Championship. Rollins reiterated that beating McIntyre was on Drew and it would be the best thing for him. McIntyre agreed 100%, saying sympathy over Rollins back got in the way. And now he's fully focused, wanting a rematch, ready to win the title. Seth said Drew probably deserves a rematch, but there's people who are owed first chances in front of him. Rollins then announced, even though he didn't want to, he's going to be defending the title next week against Jay Uso. He immediately tried to console Drew with that fact, knowing it was going to upset him. McIntyre instead hits a Glasgow kiss, gets busted open hard way from it right on the forehead. McIntyre's kilt fell off, and all of a sudden he's standing in the ring, Chris, just wearing biker shorts, which I'm sure there's a large section of our audience that was pleased to see that.
1: Gonna look good, but she's got me saying, hey now.
0: So he grabs Rollins' head. He screams at him because he beat Jay already. Jay made the save. He did the rocks punches. And the faces double super kicked McIntyre to end it. This worked well enough, but McIntyre made an immensely important point. He literally beat Jay one-on-one squeaky clean like a week ago. So while it's fair to say that Jay is among the top tier on Raw and deserving of a title match, he certainly, in Kfabe, should not be in line ahead of Drew. No way. Most impressive was how Rollins deftly handled the CM Punk chance at the Open. I'm not sure I've ever seen someone turn things around like that But that's how over Seth is right now. You rewind three years ago, there would have been protest chants and Rollins wouldn't have been able to talk and it would have been this terrible situation. Instead, he totally reversed the promo, expert level stuff. And honestly, I was a little bit surprised they did not immediately do more with Punk here. But as I will note multiple times during this show, the two month gap between this period of time that we're in right now and the Royal Rumble led to this episode feeling like a filler show as opposed to something as unique as it was advertised to be. Rollins already got the hypocrite quip out there, which was good, and it feels like the eventual promo confrontations are going to be home runs between them. Then you have McIntyre, who is great first playing the good guy, then turning on a dime at the mention of Jay. So I thought they knocked this out of the park. It was one of the two best segments on the entire show, probably the single best segment on the entire show. It played into what happened at Survivor Series, And obviously, it's playing into what's going to happen going forward in WWE creative.
2: Regarding Rollins and Punk, you know, this was like you said, it felt like a much bigger than normal episode of Monday Night Raw, which we never really got into. But I I know a lot of I, I saw a lot of AW fans in my timeline watched basically the entirety of Raw because they wanted to see what the CM Punk situation was. And so you're right. It did kind of feel like a filler episode, but it also kind of comes back to what we were just saying before, which was they give us just enough, but they they make you want to see more. And that more is going to be the Rollins punk confrontation at some point when that happens. We don't know. Um, the gloves. When you when you say, when you, when you point at the black gloves, are you yeah. talking back to like his shield days or something? No, uh,
0: visionary. What do you mean? So when he was the visionary... Or The Architect. I'm trying to remember which one it was. But when he was booked under McMahon, I guess when he was still a heel, I guess, he was wearing the black gloves. And then there was a point during a match, I I wish my memory was crystal clear on this, where an opponent took the gloves off of him and threw them out of the ring. And that predated his babyface turn. So I'm I'm not necessarily saying that he's turning heel. Also, these gloves, I don't know if you looked at them, but they were they the were the weirdest bizarre. gloves I've ever seen in my, they, they covered like two and a half fingers and half yeah. a hand. It's like, <laughs> who was even wearing these? So it may have just been a coincidence that he was wearing black gloves for style. And I noticed it, yeah. but yeah. the way that promo went at the very beginning, that's when I took the note. I was like, mm, interesting. This guy's back wearing black gloves again. He's not talking like a pure baby face anymore. Thought there might be something there by the end of this promo. Clearly he was a pure baby face, but it could have been an indication. Yeah. We'll find
2: out. The the gloves it looked like Michael something Michael Jackson would wear. I, I don't know. That yeah, was weird. But it was weird. as for Rollins and Drew, the headbutt into the belt to cut yourself open hard way, that is one of the most badass things we've seen yeah. in, in a long time. <laughs> that was incredible. And yeah. Drew knew it right away. Yeah. Like he knew what he had done. I'm guessing that was the plan. Uh and it completely worked. The biker shorts thing. I didn't even like care at that point because I was just like, Oh, I was it was just funny. I just thought it was funny. It was, but it, it normally it would take me out of it. It didn't take me out of it because that whole thing uh, worked. And Drew, again, this is again, saying we talked about last week: saying things into the microphone versus on mm-hmm. not on the microphone. Sometimes it, it it impacts. And Drew saying afterward, "I beat Jay two weeks ago. I'm ahead of him. He's right." <laughs> Yeah, like he's completely right about it, just like he's been right about most of the things he's been saying. So I thought the segment completely worked. And I'm look, I I assume we're going back down this road again. I'm not sure how, but uh, looking forward to it. It was a great follow up to get us back onto this path.
0: It was. I agree. My biggest issue about a potential Rollins punk feud happening soon is that it absolutely does not need the title in any way, shape, or form. And I would have set that in motion immediately on Monday night, creating a storyline with Damian Priest, cashing in the Money in the Bank briefcase over the next couple of weeks. I actually published a free post. Anyone can listen to it, even if you don't subscribe, on buymeacoffee.com slash over You can find the link in our profile, where I basically book the damn territory and create a plausible scenario for this exact type of situation going forward. I'm not going to spend time on it here. We have too much to get into, but I wanted to direct you all to that for my take on it. And if you guys find that interesting, maybe we can discuss it a little bit next week. But when we're talking about the enormity of this show, how many people were watching, I'm not saying they needed to do the money in the bank cash in immediately on this raw Chris, but it felt like building a storyline where that could have factored in and played into it would have left people saying, I got to tune in next week as well. And I'm not totally sure, for people who don't normally watch Raw or are not pushed to normally watch Raw in non-football season, let's say, I don't know that Raw on a Monday night gave them a reason to ensure they watch every single week. And then that really should have been the goal of this episode. I agree. Other than the CM Punk stuff, that's basically the only thing that 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 was.
2: Right. And this was this was a... Garbage Monday Night Football game that I'm sure probably helped. I'm sure
0: helped Raw's ratings on top of all the punk stuff. What a shit game. What was Joshua Dobbs doing? I mean, what an awful, awful game. All right, we'll go back to the wrestling. Uh, Sami Zayn later confronted McIntyre backstage, pointing out he lost to Roman Reigns himself in front of his family and came seconds away from beating Rollins himself. The difference being Sami dusts himself off and moves forward because the end game is becoming world champion, something McIntyre has already accomplished twice except now he's acting like a spoiled brat. This was like a come to Jesus moment for Sammy telling Drew, you're better than this dude. McIntyre said Zayn was right. Maybe he did need to work his way back up the ladder. So he was gonna go to Pierce and get himself a match against Sammy. I didn't expect Zane to really get involved here, but it completely makes sense. And again, he made the perfect point about every single thing that happened to McIntyre happening to him first or simultaneously. Almost exactly the same way too. The way McIntyre changed his expression from angry to understanding, realizing he's truly not the only one in this boat, and Sammy was speaking truth to him, that was really impressive acting. And plus, not only do we now have two banger matches set for next week, even if the results of both of them are predictable, it's another mention by Sammy of going after the World Heavyweight Championship. It feels like they are telling us this is an inevitability. We're going to get to it. Don't worry. And for fans of Sammy who are really disappointed he didn't win at Elimination Chamber, they got to be thrilled about that. It
2: does feel like it's setting up the booking scenario you did a couple of weeks ago, which was Drew eventually winning the title and facing Sammy at Mania. We'll see. Seeds are being planted.
0: It absolutely does. In fact, you know, McIntyre wins here, maybe cheats a little bit, not overtly, but just, you know. Little low blow, or does something behind the referee's back, eye poke, you know, whatever the case, and and gets the win. Then you potentially now have Sammy as a legitimate contender to win the Royal Rumble. Maybe there is even a way you get the title off of Rollins by doing like Rollins, CM Punk, and Drew McIntyre in a triple threat. And Punk costs Rollins the title. McIntyre is the one who wins it instead of Punk. There's a lot of different things that they can do. And I find that immensely interesting. But yes, Sammy and Drew. That's heating up, man. There's something there. I'm really interested in seeing that on WrestleMania. I don't know if it's gonna happen, but yes, I did theorize that a couple of weeks ago. Let's move to the main event of the main event, CM Punk, the last segment on Raw Monday night. He came out with about six, seven minutes left. Punk opened saying clearly that hell froze over. He said, it may sound corny and not like himself, but he's changed. Then he quoted Dusty Rhodes saying, if you speak from the heart, you can't go wrong. Then he said, I'm home, which led to an eruption. He said, WWE is where he belongs. And even though he was gone for a decade, the fans never forgot about him, always chanting his name. So they obviously did it again. Punk said a wise man once told him in order to get what he needed from WWE, he needed to leave and come back. Punk said the fans are home and it feels like a family reunion, including backstage where everyone loves him and everyone has welcomed him back. One of the biggest pops was when he mentioned AJ Lee basically saying that she sends her regards. Anyway, he said, everyone loves him. Well, almost. He said, some are afraid of the truth. He said, everyone in WWE competes to be the best in the world each week, but the best in the world hasn't been there for 10 years. He said, anyone against him being there is afraid that they won't be able to get the brass ring out of his pocket. Then off mic to end it, he said, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make money. And for those of you who don't know, that's almost a direct quote of Scott Hall, who himself, was quoting Chief J. Strongbow. And it's one of the things that Vince McMahon always respected most about Scott Hall. He said, Vince, I got plenty of friends. You don't have to pay me the most, but you gotta pay me a lot. And that was a historic thing between uh, Vince and Scott. This was not at all what I was expecting, Chris, but it was maybe kind of refreshing, almost. There were zero mentions or even inferences of AEW That was disappointing to me, not because I wanted him to take shots, but I felt like there should have been some acknowledgement of either the fact that he's been back in the industry for two years, or that he has a reputation to repair and overcome. That would have fit within the confines of that promo, that he was in WWE to repair his reputation and ensure his career ends the right way. Something like, you know, the last two years have been crazy for me, and I haven't been my best self, but coming here, I think I can be again. That would have worked perfectly. Instead, the way he cut the promo, he came off like a massive hypocrite, and I'm hoping that was the point, because he didn't show any edge. The entire attraction to CM Punk is that you never know what he's going to say next, kind of like Howard Stern. Yet he came out as happy-go-lucky, pleased to be home. He was given six minutes, a truncated time period where he really couldn't say much of anything. It was such a womp-womp conclusion to a three-hour show, given how highly anticipated the moment was. And I do truly believe that his time was cut a little bit and the segment was supposed to go a little longer. For me, Chris, and I'll let you get in here. There's a difference between the content and the context because WWE's booking is so strong and Punk is so talented on the microphone that there's no way the idea behind this was, hey, Phil, go out there, tell everyone you're happy to be back. (laughs) Yes. And we'll figure it out next week. So I'm going to get into the context part in a moment where I do think this has a chance to deliver massively. But in terms of the content that we got on Monday, let's talk about that first. It felt to me like WWE failed to completely capitalize on the momentum they created Saturday night. They promoted it all show as the biggest social media moment in WWE history. 71 million views, huge happening. People on fire all day, Sunday and Monday, going into Raw. You and I talked about how many times we rewatched the moment a dozen times each. We don't do that. Everyone tuning in Monday night, despite the football game, and we got a relatively uninteresting promo that lasted six minutes when Punk usually needs 10 to 15 to really get into a groove and deliver his top tier stuff. It just felt immensely hollow and tame without having any shooting or inside baseball. And it's possible there's a reason for that. Like I said, I have a feeling what comes next is ultimately going to deliver, but I don't blame anyone for thinking, especially people who don't watch the product. I waited for three hours and all I got was that.
2: When I said earlier in the show that everything about this felt so weird, the weirdest part of it was how CM Punk just felt like a normal part of the show. He didn't feel like he stood out. He didn't. He just he felt like he knew all the WWE cues. They all came back and it all completely worked. And did WWE not properly take advantage of the moment? I think so. However, I also think part of this was. A test or at least meant to show that he's here to play by the rules Mm. Within WWE, mm-hmm. I'll go out and do do the WWE thing. I won't go off script. I won't take personal shots. I'm just gonna play nice to show you all that I'm here to play nice. I'm wondering if that was part of it because when he comes back to AW the first time, taking shots at WWE, all these type of things. Second time, sort of, kind of took some shots at the Young Bucks. Mentions David Zasloff and it was like, you know, this is the third punk return promo <laughs> in like two years in two years. And yeah. so a bit of the shine was also taken off of it. Yep. It doesn't feel like CM Punk gone for 10 years is back because we just saw him cutting this promo like less than a year ago right. in a different company. And so I think that was part of it too. There there was not much he could do other than completely take shots in AW, which I don't think he was ever going to do for Possibly legal reasons. Mm Uh Tony Khan has said, hey, I can't say anything about CM Punk. My lawyers told me not to. And also, I don't think WWE wants him to. No. You know, like like, like WWE, I think at this point with where it is and where AEW is, is going to treat AEW like it's a TNA. Type of thing, as opposed to when it was competition back in 2019 or so. Right. You know, you throw BTE and the Young Bucks and stuff in the Cody documentary, but you present it as a way of like, I went down to the minor leagues and now I'm back up here. And so there's no reason for CM Punk to take shots at AEW because it's only going to elevate AEW, which is currently in a weakened position. There's no need for WWE to do that. I thought the delivery of this promo was really good. He was completely on point with everything he was saying. He he, he came across uh, not, I don't say real, but uh emphatic in everything that he was saying. He knew what he was going to say and he said it. He didn't slip up. He didn't break this or that. The only weird part was when he made the hockey joke about the Blackhawks and the Predators. I was like, <laughs> That's the AEW Punk
0: right there. Remember, he, <laughs> he was, forced like, the hockey shit into everything over
2: there. Every single promo oh, he's got in AEW, God. he'd start making comments about the local hockey team. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing?
0: I so, just, I find that, was, that so funny. Let me, let me quickly state. Yeah, I find yeah. that so funny that he does this because if it was the NFL, then everyone loves the NFL. I mean, I know there's some people who don't like football, but like everyone, hockey is such a niche sport. Still, I know it's a professional sport. I know it's gaining in popularity. And if you're a hockey fan, I'm not insulting you, but. The vast majority of the audience does not care about hockey. And it's just so funny that he forces it into everything when just it's, it's people don't really care. It's the moments when he's breaking
2: what he it, it, it pulls you out of the moment. It does. Fans yeah. Fans actually booed him for it. They did, because which was good. Of course they did. Like, yeah. Which is weird. Like, you don't need to. He was on fire, I thought, generally, in terms of the delivery. That just kind of pulled it off. But other than that, it was very paint by numbers, and I think possibly to show that he was going to be able to do a paint by numbers type of promo and saying I'm home like of everything in the promo, <laughs> the one thing that the one thing that sticks out to me and to everybody and we, we will remember from this promo is when he said I am home. I could not believe he said that after Everything he had said about WWE when he was over in AEW to just straight up say, I'm home. Yeah, I can understand why AEW fans would have been pissed about that, because that's spitting in their face after everything he said what AEW was supposed to represent. And so that that that's why this whole thing just felt weird. Like, I can't like it felt like bizarro. Like, it did. Bizarro. I'm I'm home. This is my favorite place. Everybody loved me. The kissing on the mouth reference was weird. Like we're all great. And that was it. And I was like, what just happened?
0: It felt like it was so weird. It felt like we were sitting in Reggie's diner. They didn't have a big salad. They only had Sanka. I mean, that's what it felt like in this moment. And (laughs) I think that's the difference between the content and the context, which is what I wanted to get to next. Let me first say, as a response to something that you mentioned, he didn't, you know, waste any ammunition on AEW, I would not be surprised if they're saving that punk for the actual feuds he's going to be in in WWE. Could be. Right? That, that's something that is worth thinking about. But let's talk about the context. There were two extremely interesting parts of this promo. One quick, I'll mention. The other was the entirety of it. The most notable part, the quick part, was him accentuating wise man twice while calling himself the best in the world. He always says that, obviously, but it seemed pointed here. You got to believe they're going with a Roman Reigns feud sooner than later, but we don't even know when Roman's going to be on TV next, which is obviously ridiculous given he's the undisputed WWE universal champion. But Chris, I don't think this was said the way it was said by happenstance. It seemed completely purposeful because wise man, Paul Heyman is his current gimmick. It was not what he was when he was managing CM Punk.
2: Yes, completely. And I'm glad he got a Paul Heyman reference in there because that's a big part of his WWE run. So yes, obviously it was, it was very not subtle.
0: Now, here's the real key to the contextualization of this promo. It was extremely similar to his first dance return promo in AEW. And that I believe was purposeful. It also played into Rollins' immediate shot at him being a hypocrite and then trying to ignore his presence, which happened an hour earlier. What did Punk do here? He played the fans and soaked up their love. He claimed WWE, as you said, is home. And everyone backstage loves him and welcomes him. And then off mic, he says into the camera, I'm here for the money. It came across as disingenuous. And my belief is it was supposed to come across as disingenuous. (laughs) CM Punk saying WWE is his home after eight years of shitting on them. Come on, that's so obvious. The place that got him sick that fired him on his wedding day. So let me state plainly, if that was not purposeful, then it was straight up awful. But if it was purposeful, which I completely believe, then they're doing a slow burn. And I think a lot of people seem to be missing it. It felt like it was a wolf in sheep's clothing type of promo. Punk taking the fans, maybe even turning them against Rollins, making them think he's delusional and on the wrong side of not welcoming him back when everyone else is happy to have him back and so on. He has a chance to turn all of that around and say, yeah, I still do hate this place. I'm just milking all of you for your money, Marks. The whole promo was one direction. And then the last line was like a crack in the facade. No, I actually am the piece of shit that you think I am. If you watch it back, the cameras purposely got in position, got into his face and waited just long enough for him to say that line before the show ended. That was the key to the entire promo. Basically to be shorter on it, He was gaslighting everyone. And yes, I could be wrong about this. Maybe it was hollow and purposeless and boring. I don't think I am. I think they meant to do it that way. I don't believe that was the right decision to capitalize on all the momentum they had. But what have we been speaking about this entire show so far? Triple H and his creative, how everything they do is purposeful. There's no way that in the main event of his first WWE TV appearance in eight years, they had CM Punk go out there and cut an I'm happy to be here promo for no reason other than to say I'm happy to be back. I don't believe that. Not not in this WWE.
2: Yes, I I agree with you. The, the thing is like what worked about that line, that line basically like negated everything you just said. Exactly. Really. It exactly. was basically like, hey, between I said this for the crowd, got the cheers. Hey, between you, between you and me, I'm just here for the money. And so you can take that any way. You could say that's kayfabe and that's just going to become the storyline. You could say it's real. And he, you know, when he went to AEW, he wanted to be locker room leader, mentor to the young guys, all that kind of stuff. And here he's just saying, I ain't doing it. I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm just here for the money. So like you could take it a lot of different ways. And yes, I, I do think that was likely purposeful. Mm-hmm. And it does what we keep saying, which is makes you want to see what happens next. I would have loved to see like, just think about all the CM Punk questions and things we need to get to. We need to get to Punk Rollins. We need to get to Punk Heyman. We need to get to Punk Cody. We need to get to Punk Triple H at Roman
1: some Raines.
2: point. Do we get into that? Roman Reigns. When Punk left AW, when left WWE and he goes and shits on Roman Reigns on that podcast, that set Roman Reigns back a long ways oh, yeah. back. That turned a lot of people on him. Uh, against Roman for a long period of time until he got to where he is now. And he has the the uh, the the needle mover Mm -hmm. uh, shirt. That's a reference to something Sam Punk said. Absolutely. There's a there's a lot we got to get to. And I really wanted to get into some of that here. They just gave us a teeny little piece. And I just really, really hope he's on his best behavior and it doesn't blow all up before we can get to some of that, because there is a lot of money to be made in all those things I just said.
0: Yeah, there's no question about it. You're totally right. So let's just say this leads to Punk and Rollins. And let's say they do it at WrestleMania. I pose this question to our listeners on Twitter at Getting Overcast. If you have Punk, Rollins, and Becky Lynch, Rhea Ripley, which we've been stating for months, should be the main event of night one of WrestleMania 40, which match should actually take that spot on the card? I want to know your thought, Chris, and then I'm going to read our listeners' answer. Between those two matches, which one should main event? Night one of night WrestleMania. One? If if both of those matches are happening, Punk Rollins, whether for the title or not, Becky Lynch, Rhea Ripley. Which one should be the main event of night one? I do want to caveat that, uh, you
2: know, one of these may be a lot hotter than the other when we get to close to Mania and our decisions change. Sure, you know, like absolutely, th- things can things can change. But on his face right now, I think I would do CM Punk as, as lazy as it kind of feels to say it Mm -hmm. punk Rollins punk, finally main eventing WrestleMania without being one of his things, the, the, the draw he is this potentially being your last and only chance to do it. Right. I would go with CM Punk.
0: So the vast majority of our listeners agree with you, 66%, literally two thirds, even uh, agreed that you would put Rollins punk over Ripley Lynch. And I want to clarify, because we did state this or I stated it on the instant analysis. I'm going to be mad if that happens only because I badly wanted Lynch and Ripley to be the main event. That said, I get it. Like from a draw standpoint, Rollins and Punk is just, it's an all-time match. And Becky's already main evented a WrestleMania. Ripley is, I forget how old she is, 26, something like that. She has you know, plenty of time to main event probably multiple WrestleManias before she's done Um I do think Rollins Punk opening would be you want to talk about kicking off WrestleMania with a bang. That's the way you do it. But also you could say Becky Lynch and Rhea Ripley opening could accomplish the same thing. So I even though I would disagree with it and be angry about it, just because I like Ripley and, and Lynch so much and really think they deserve that opportunity, I think, yeah, Rollins and Punk, it probably should go into that spot, even if I I wouldn't want it to, you know, myself. Yeah, and and I understand why people
2: would be upset. It would also be to three years in a row without a woman's uh, main eventing one of the nights. Right. Uh, I believe at three in a row. So yeah, there, there'd be certainly be understandable frustration with it. I just think this is really
0: your last and only chance to do it. And I think you should. Well, just cause nothing's certain. That's really the key. Like you never know what's going to happen if you don't do it now. And that's, that's the biggest issue. Uh, I know for a fact, I'm just trying to think real quick that, The Usos against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens main evented night one last year. It was tech. Okay. I'm remembering now. It was technically Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey was the main event match, but it was not, no, 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 but it it was not, but it was not like it was Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kevin Owens. So you're right. It would be, I was was there.
2: I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what happened before Kevin Owens Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't remember what the last match (laughs) was. That was the main event. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right. So look, we should also note, just before we wrap up this main event segment, a PW Insider among multiple outlets reported that the backstage environment last night at Raw was perfectly fine. Punk was on his best behavior, jovial with everyone. Even some people who were worried about him initially coming in felt better about it after he spoke with them. Now, obviously, Punk was the same way when he started in AEW, before personalities yes. clashed yes. and issues arose. But the huge difference between WWE and AEW, beyond what we already talked about, is that Punk joined AEW with immediate animosity off the jump. Remember, many of the issues with Punk initially stemmed from Colt Cabana, the elite sticking by him, and then everything that transpired from there. There was animus immediately when he joined. In WWE, there's a lot of talent on the roster that knows him and is legitimate friends with him. Everyone from Randy Orton to Kofi Kingston. So I'm not surprised that everything was hunky dory on Monday. The real question is, what's going to be like two months from now? WrestleMania season, a year from now? That's where we're going to be able to evaluate this.
2: Right. P- Punk can say he's changed and and all that kind of stuff. What what happens when you know the rubber hits the road? What happens when something goes away you don't want it to? That's that's when we're going to find out what CM Punk really is. So he can say he's changed. Triple H can say he's changed. Nobody nobody needs to believe it. Right. And you know it's just it's going to take time. And there's nothing we can really say until he starts to
0: show that when things don't go his way. You're right. The proof is in the pudding and the only way to prove that you have changed is time. That's that's the only way to do it. Before we wrap up this main event, and I know it's been long, but Punk's return, it was the golden goose for WWE. The one person coming back that was seemingly unattainable, right? Now we've seen that role previously held by Bret Hart, but obviously he came back in a non-wrestling capacity. So I got to thinking, who is left out there that could return to WWE and get a massive reaction. Not punk in Chicago, massive, but still massive. This is what I came down to, Chris. Sasha Banks, for sure, especially if it involved the four horsewomen and it was at a big event. Big E, I think there's enough emotional investment there as a modern superstar where if it's kept secret and he came out as like a Royal Rumble entrant, I do believe he would get a reaction not that different from Edge. I think people would go nuts for him. Uh, Brian Danielson and John Moxley, no question about it. Chris Jericho, I think people would be excited, but not to the level of the other four I just mentioned. And last, AJ Lee. I don't think she'd get like an enormous earth shattering pop, but I think a lot of people would love to see her cameo in like the Royal Rumble. But if I had to narrow it down, I would say Sasha, Danielson, and Moxley for me.
2: That's a great question. I had not considered. Uh I think that's fine. I think you're right. Sasha would would do num. Sasha would do punk numbers, for sure. The other one I thought was Moxley, even more so than Brian Danielson. Dana mm-hmm. Bryan, I think. I, I, I think, um, you know, because we got everything out of Dana Bryan before he left. Um,
0: that this I, current John Moxley character. Like, if that version yeah. showed up, even if his name was Dean Ambrose, but if, if that guy showed up randomly right. as a surprise, people would lose their shit. D- John Moxley has gotten bigger since he left. One of Brian very few. Brian Anderson has not, yes. One of very few. Him and Swerve, I would say, are like the two most known Well, yeah. People. And Tony yeah. Storm. And Tony Storm.
2: Yeah, but they're obviously on much, much lower level. So, yeah, I think I'm down to Sasha Banks or dean ambrose i think those would be the two and and neither of those is even that long like punk was a decade right bruno sammartino was a long time ago like i don't are there old i mean hulk hogan's come back since like that's all done with mm-hmm. rick flair's come back a million times are, are there any old wrestlers left who hate oh i i got well not not to the same extent i think jeff hardy would be big
0: um Je- jeff hardy again. would get a a really nice reaction i don't think it'd be as Big as you think it would be, perhaps.
2: Yeah, it wouldn't be as
0: big. It as wouldn't be WrestleMania 33. Back. No, it wouldn't be that,
2: that big. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there's, if there's any other older wrestlers who are out there. I mean, yet. I think
0: there's a lot of people who would get a pop. Like, if you brought yeah. in, like, Diamond Dallas Page for the Royal Rumble. I don't know why I yeah. thought of him. Like, that's going to get a pop, obviously. But we're talking about, like, nuclear. Or close to it. Yeah. Him, you know?
2: So I think that, yeah, I think it would be Banks and Moxley. Which goes to, to show you that WWE is made up with basically everybody now. Yeah. They have.
0: No question. And and by the way, me throwing Big E in, b, big e in there, that's not a makeup type of situation. It's just another no. b- version of a huge pop. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. One, one last thing I'll say about CM Punk here. Sure. Wrap it is up. Is
2: that Punk is the kind, like Triple H said, look, people still talk about him. He's a big deal. There, there is an undeniable aura of CM Punk that very few people can watch. I got my wife to come sit down and watch punk's promo on monday night Mm -hmm. she has not watched basically any wwe since he left and he was one of the reasons she got into it with me when i got back into it in like 2012 2013 period so he still has that pull and that's why when he says i'm here for the money everybody knows there's a lot of money to be made And that's just my personal anecdote of that. My wife has a CM Punk t-shirt that she got back in the day. Like he is just, he is that thing for a lot of people.
0: So I didn't want to tell anyone this. I'll give you my anecdote. Um, Jack Crosby, who many of you know, and you can tweet at him and criticize him. I'd I'd love it (laughs) actually. Uh, He ruined the CM Punk surprise for me. Oh no. So, you know, football was happening and I was watching delayed. And um, I had the show paused. I think I was at the Gunther Miz match at some point. And he messages me, wow, cannot believe it. And I thought he was talking about something that was happening with college football that like we had to go handle, like a coach got hired or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, CM Punk. And I'm like, you motherfucker! Oh, no. I, no. I was like, are you kidding? I was like, oh, like, you're the worst, dude. I go, you know, I don't watch live during this because we work together, you know. Um, I- I'm very angry at Jack, but like joke serious. I will tell you this though. This is the truth even though he spoiled it, when the match was happening and and Ripley came out and then Orton came out, I was like, so where's Punk? What are they talking about? Maybe like he came out at the press conference. I still was surprised by the way they did it. And it still got a visceral reaction from me, despite being spoiled, because I didn't know how it was going to transpire. And the moment was sick just seeing the crowd go crazy like that. Look, we spent a lot of time talking about CM Punk today. Hopefully, this is the last time that we need to spend so much time discussing him because we did this so many other occasions when he was in AEW. We have so much left to discuss in the world of WWE, SmackDown, Raw, and even beyond. Let's get to it right now. You know it. You love it. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez. I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything, do says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some. Sure, it's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. One quick thing before we get into the actual grading Uh, regarding Raw. The Nashville crowd, Chris, I I, kind of want your take on this kind of sucked, right? Like, it gave major pops for the big stars, but it almost didn't want to be bothered with the rest of the show. It was an extremely odd group of fans. Like, Raw had its big moments, but in totality, I thought the show was a huge downgrade from the last couple of weeks, which were completely on point, two of the best episodes of the entire year. Still, though, the crowd was, like, solid, but it should have been better than it was Monday night. Nashville always seems to disappoint. I was just wondering what you thought about that.
2: Well, I just wondered the whole time, like, are they, we're just, we're all waiting for CM Punk. Like, it's floating over everything. They're teasing that it's coming. You know, they opened the show with Randy instead of CM Punk. And so I, I, I'm sure that was part of it. Okay. It's like, oh, cool. Love this. Oh, cool. Love it. Like, can we get to the CM Punk? Because they got, they got up for him and everything. They did. I think, I think they're, I think that was a factor.
0: All right. First uh, graded segment here on the good, the bad and the ugly, the new raw theme song. My lord, I initially wrote that it was equally mediocre as the last one, but I was wrong. It's worse. I listened back to it. It's so generic, it hurts me. Like the new intro graphics, they didn't even match up with the beat of the song. I was hoping for a legitimate rap song, a rock song, bring back some of those attitude era feels across the nation. Like, why can't they just use that song? Bring back across the nation, use it. So I hated this from a grading standpoint, straight up ugly. I cannot believe they changed it and were able to take something that was bad and make it worse. I didn't, when it happened, I was like, is this new? It kind of sounds
2: different, but it kind of sounds similar. They've just had like generic hip hop for both shows, I think, for a while now. And it's just, I don't, it's completely forgettable. It doesn't get me excited. It's just, it's just incredibly
0: generic and boring. Yeah, like when you start these shows, these intros are supposed to get you psyched so when you hit the pyro you're fully invested and you can't yes. wait to watch Di- raw and instead it's like oh okay raw's on oh pyro Di- okay so dynamite
2: segment. dynamite great theme great it gets theme. you excited it, it it's it's high energy and it takes you right into the pyro and the show starts i That's fully believe
0: when they started dynamite tony khan said to whoever does the music there raw is war but different and that's basically what they did. They did a Raw is War theme for Dynamite. And the show, when that show starts and you hear that song, it is great. And and look, they do the Elton John song on Saturday for Collision. I hate it. I mean, it's a hate good it. song. It doesn't fit wrestling. They're forcing no. it because it's Saturday night fighting, whole thing. But the Dynamite intro right now is the, by far the best TV intro for any pro wrestling show. WWE had a chance to fix that and and do something similar. They didn't. I don't get it. I just wanted to say it off the top. Let's get into the things that matter. Randy Orton opened Raw to a massive pop and chance. You could tell he got a bit emotional when he stepped through the ropes and into the ring for the first time. He said he's back for as long as possible and that wrestling in war games is part of professional wrestling history. Orton said he has unfinished business with the bloodline and while he forgives because he's a heel who has retired people previously, he won't forget and has receipts for every single member. Rhea Ripley interrupted, calling out Orton for unsarcastically doing a favor for a friend and then getting upstaged by CM Punk in his return. She didn't mention his name. Ripley said that shit's changed around here, the bloodline's fallen, and Judgment Day is the faction he needs to worry about because they're dripping in gold. Orton countered that it's been mommy this, mommy that since he's been gone. But guess what? Daddy's back. Expert delivery. Immediate daddy's back chant from the crowd. He fought off a sneak attack, hitting JD McDonough with an RKO, and Dominic Mysterio scurried away, challenging Dom for a match was what happened. Next from Randy... I thought it was an exceptional opener. It put Orton face-to-face with Ripley, completely elevating her to his level and giving him a great person to work against. It also set the stage, not just for Orton's return, not just for the entire show, but it told us, Chris, at some point, sooner than later, Rhea Ripley's gonna be eating an RKO. Not to be much of a spoiler, I actually thought that this opening segment was one of the top two moments on the entire show Monday night, Rollins back entire being the other. This was an easy good.
2: Yep. Easy, good. It's It set everything up. Like you said, Rhea continues to do uh, better and better in that spot. And my only other thought was it's hard to make Rhea Ripley look small, but Randy Orton does that because oh, yeah. he's just a gigantic person.
0: Not just in his new size though, but his height. He is so much taller than everyone. You always forget. It's almost like, uh, it's like he's an avatar, you know, when he's standing around like JD McDonough or like a Johnny mm-hmm. Gargano, he just is so much bigger than everyone else. You do forget about his size. Uh, Damian Priest was in the Judgment Day clubhouse, depressed about losing war games, and he was lashing out at everyone else, assuming they were mad at him. Ripley and Finn Balor told him to relax. It's all good, especially since they're all still champions. Ripley said no one holds a grudge against him, and then Priest relaxed, appreciating that they're actually a family. Then he went ahead and asked about JD, hoping he was okay, agreeing to go check on him in the training room. When the champions left, Ripley had a smirk on her face while being really close to Dom. I much preferred this booking, to judgment day, like holding a grudge or casting them out immediately. That would have been antithetical to their entire dynamic that has been built up over like a year and a half. Even if it eventually happens, you can tell Balor at least isn't in on it yet. I was immensely enjoying this segment, the way it was put together, the acting across the board. This was good.
2: Yep. That was good as well. You know, you know, wait when you have a unit like that losing to a group of individuals like at war games, I always kind of hate it. And instead of just coming back with over breaking up, which they haven't done with judgment day, they've kept them together. They get through things. Exactly. I think this was another example of it.
0: Cody Rhodes opened hour two to a massive ovation. He shouted out basically every baby face on his team for winning war games. And they all got individual reactions from the crowd, which was really cool. I said the crowd was shit, but there were three segments where they were great. This segment, the, Rollins, McIntyre segment, and then the CM Punk segment. But again, he shouted out everybody. They all got chance, And then he got teary-eyed, mentioning Randy Orton for being his mentor and allowing him to get the fall in his dad's match. The crowd chanted Dusty, and Cody legit held back more tears. He mentioned the other big news, CM Punk's return, wanting to hear what Punk would say, but simultaneously welcoming him back to WWE. Cody said he had big news of his own, and since there's only one destination for him, He is declaring himself as the first entrant in the Royal Rumble. The lights went out everywhere except for in the ring with Shinsuke Nakamura appearing on the Titantron saying before Rhodes can continue his story, he needs to set Nakamura free and awaken him. Then Shinsuke caught Cody from behind with a huge face of red mist, but no offensive moves. And the segment kind of just like petered out from there. But between Cody's promo and Shinsuke's video, this hit for me, Nakamura just comes off as so ridiculously cool and badass these days. What a total reinvention and rehabilitation of his character. Interesting that they're building a huge singles feud, but not paying it off at the Royal Rumble. On the other hand, they have two months of TV to fill, the probably main event like a holiday Raw the next couple of weeks, and they could always have the storyline play into the Royal Rumble match itself. I'm definitely pumped up for this, and this was a definite good.
2: Well, Cody's still in the Rumble now, right? Yes, he, like, he announced he for the Rumble, right? Yeah, so it would make sense to wrap this up before then. Um, it, it was a nice little twist because it was like Cody's announcement for the Rumble. I was like, man, it's November. Are we really just going to start <laughs> building up the Cody? We We're are. we up the Cody Roman now. Where are we going? And then boom, like they just went into something else. I was like, oh, okay. He's got some, something to do for the next month or two. Um, and Nakamura looked great. The, the Red Mist was fascinating. I was like... Is I was like, this is kind of a blood workaround type of thing where you have the image that you could put in the promo video or whatever, but it's not actually blood. I don't know. I I thought it was an interesting choice.
0: So I have two quick side notes here. Both are pretty cool. The first is, I believe the kayfabe reason that Nakamura now can use Mist is because in the Great Muda's last match, which was against Nakamura in Japan, Mm -hmm. Shinsuke literally kissed him on the mouth to avoid getting misted and presumably, I think, sucked it into his body, <laughs> thus giving him the power. And that's amazing if I'm right about that. Now, the difference is Muda's bis was obviously green. Uh, he's he's yeah. done red also, though. Let me be clear. Uh, he's done red and green. Um, but Nakamura's has only been red the two times he's done it. So that's a little caveat, perhaps, to it. But I would love to be able to ask Shinsuke about that and like find out that's true. But second, both Cody and Shinsuke during their promos use the word chaos. For those who don't know, that was the stable Nakamura belonged to when he was in New Japan. And the current leader of chaos is Kazuchika Okada. There was a recent report. I think it was by Dave Meltzer, Wrestling Observer Newsletter. I don't want to get it wrong that WWE has renewed interest in acquiring Okada. Now this could have just been an Easter egg for being an Easter egg with no additional meaning Okada or not. But the fact that they both mentioned Chaos and that Nakamura is doing the Red Mist, it's really fun. And I just wanted to point both of those out.
2: It, uh, that's worth noting. And I don't know if it's, it, it is interesting that they had now have two mist wrestlers uh, in Asuka and Nakamura, mm-hmm. both of them Japanese. It's kind of a trope or overdone gimmick at this point. It is interesting that they added another missed Japanese wrestler, I guess, to uh, to where
0: things go. So just stood out to me. That is fair. It is repetitive. They are on separate shows, which I think helps obviously a little bit. Hmm. And yeah, there are only so many Japanese wrestlers who actually do the mist. so for there or to be for there to be two of them in WWE. It does feel like a little much. Let's see how much he uses it, and then we'll go from there. But yeah. it's a good point. I, I appreciate that point. Our uh, truth was later in the Judgment Day clubhouse, absolutely covered in powdered sugar, eating jelly rolls. More on that later. Uh, Judgment Day was obviously angry at him because of that, but he said he was there to be their fifth member of War Games, only to be angrily informed the match already happened and Judgment Day lost. He wondered if he was in it, which was very funny. Uh, Then he cheered them up by telling them that Orton was back and they just pushed him out all pissed off at him. McDonough decided to take care of truth. I find it so funny that they refer to this as a clubhouse, almost like they're a bunch of teenagers with their own private spot in someone's basement. Like one of the parents' houses, they have a basement. It's their clubhouse. No one can come in, you know, unless they're offered the opportunity. And obviously truth was his classic self here. We didn't get JD truth resolution. I assume they're just going to have a match next week. But from Priest's clubhouse comments to Truth's comedy and the fact that Judgment Day, they're heels, but they're not the type of heels that just want to murder you like they, they can do comedy segments as well. I thought it was hilarious in parts and an obvious good. This was legitimately really funny. Like our, our Truth's delivery,
2: you know, asking the questions, I just you laid it all out. Really funny. He got the pop. He got a Survivor Series. He followed it up with a great segment again. You know, you want to say, hey, are they doing too many of these? You've got Tazawa doing stuff. Mm-hmm. You got R-Truth doing stuff. I don't know, but it's good to have R-Truth back. Legitimately funny guy.
0: I will admit there was a part of me that was like, there's a little bit too much comedy in this show, but that's fine. We'll see if it continues every week. Jay approached Randy backstage, thanking him for getting his back at War Games. He then just straight up apologized for the Bloodline stuff, saying Cody gave him a second chance on Raw and he's trying to make everything right, leave the past in the past. Orton said he's been watching Raw, and since he trusts the faces and the faces trust him, he'll let bygones be bygones as long as Jay is fully out of the bloodline. And Jay's like, I'm out, dude. (laughs) No part of that anymore. Then he yeeted. They both yeeted, I should say. So I'm glad that they addressed this because I was wondering whether there'd be animosity between them from Orton's opening statement when when Raw began. This is like the paradigm of how creative has changed in WWE. They could have ignored it. They could have forgotten about it. Instead, Randy's like, dude, I got a TV. I see that you've turned everything around. We're good. Not just like I was gone for 18 months, came back, and I assumed nothing changed. Another easy good for me. It was good. Um,
2: It's the kind of thing I kind of wish happened in front of the crowd, uh, where Jay is basically forgiven. You can have the crowd react to that. You can have Randy, you know, think about, hey, am I going to attack you? Am I not? Go through his emotions. I feel like you could have saved that. You know what they could like
0: have done? It's not to interrupt you, but what yeah. they could have done, they could have had Jay come, when he said the bloodline line initially, they could have had Jay come out and they could have made up in the ring. Then Ripley comes out, says, tries to drive a wedge. And then you do a tag team match, Orton and Jay against Dominic and McDonough, instead of just doing the singles match.
2: Yeah. And it, that adds to the time. And I'm sure I, I'm sure it a lot to work out there, yeah. but I, I would have loved to just see that backstage segment which was an important plot point happened in front of the crowd the only other thing i noted was it was weird that um that they they put the chirons below both of them like when the segment started <laughs> it was like here's randy Orton, here's jay Uso, and it's we like we know <laughs> do, do we need that like right. i like the the whole camera backstage thing it's always like hey is it do they know the camera's there or do they not are we giving a peek in it's always it's always been unclear in wrestling but when you're throwing up the Chiron, I, I, it makes it feel a little less, I don't know, authentic.
0: Yeah, less natural. No, I think that's totally fair. Uh, Orton fought Dominic. This was the main event match, mostly formulaic. Orton hit a draping DDT on Dom with JD saving him. They got into it with Jelly Roll. That's a person. Again, we'll talk about him a little bit later. He pushed both of the heels and Orton dapped him up. Orton dropped Dom twice onto the announce table, hit JD with a draping DDT and eight six one nine, but avoided the frog splash and hit RKO for the win. I'd have preferred this as the second segment on the show immediately after the opener where it would have done a lot better and the crowd was already hyped for Randy and they could have just rolled that into it, but it was still good. And Dominic sold the RKO-like death, which was the most important. But what really came across to me in both of these Orton appearances Saturday and then again Monday, he genuinely just seems happy, relieved, and comfortable. Like you can almost tell how badly he missed wrestling and being around all the boys and girls. The dude looked like he was having the time of his life over the last three days. And that showed in this segment.
2: Yeah, and remember when he left, he was, a, he was also kind of having the time of his life with the Matt Riddle tag team. Totally, RK bro. like he, he, he was having a really good time. It got taken away from him. He's, he's back and he's, he's doing that as well. You know, this is Randy Jordan, you know, play the hits, do the things. Dominic sold well. It was good.
0: Now, I'm not sure that we've ever done this before. I actually want to revisit an entire topic from SmackDown that we already covered on the incident analysis. And that's the two segments involving Shotzi. The unhinged acting that she did in the opening segment was straight up ridiculous, so bad that I was actually embarrassed for her watching it from home. And then 15 minutes later, she's backstage with Charlotte Flair with the best acting performance of her entire career. The difference was astonishing. Leave the unhinged shit to Nikki Cross. Shotzi being human and drawing emotion out of the normally stoic and ice cold queen, Charlotte, was legitimately one of the best parts of the entire episode Friday night. Shotzi came across as real. Charlotte was maybe the most human, the most interesting she's been in that like big sister, motherly type of supporting role. And seeing them together actually made me interested in them working as a tag team, which would also be the most compelling thing that Charlotte has done in years. In fact, it's the most successful that Flair has appeared trying to be a baby face in years. This was a relatable segment for pretty much anyone, probably even more so for women. So I simultaneously wanted to single this out as a good while also putting all those points out there in a more substantial fashion. Let Shotzi and Charlotte, wh- whether separately or together, be real people, and both of them are going to get over like Rover.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I saw a lot of negative reaction to the the first part of it Deserved. maybe not as not yeah and, and maybe not as enough attention on the second part of it and maybe this is this is the kind of thing you do backstage instead of in the ring you know certain things work in different areas and certain people are just better in different spots so uh i'm, I'm glad you went back to that though did you think that segment was good what's your grade for it uh the second like the first one was bad <laughs> second one was a light good yeah yeah it was sure. fine
0: Uh, Becky Lynch backstage on Raw was all busted up saying War Games was a night of making amends, That you never know how things can change. Becky said she has a number of targets on the horizon, one more pressing than the other. Now, one would think she's referring to Ripley directly. I actually think she's talking about Nia Jax, which is exactly who she should be feuding with and beating before moving into the Royal Rumble booking and the WrestleMania feud. There wasn't much to this, but it was a brief good. Uh, Yeah, that's an interesting
2: thought about naya i hadn't I hadn't thought about it that much um i thought this was it was fine it was like like good not much to it but it was fine
0: undisputed tag team championship judgment day defending against the street profits on smackdown montez ford hit a big tope early only for damian priest to pounce him over the announce desk gold dust or uh angela dawkins got the hot <laughs> tag with the profits teaming for the doomsday blockbuster and like 75 percent of the revelation for a broken fall Balor then tripped forward on the top rope with Ripley distracting, and then they combined for that tombstone front slam coup de gras to retain the titles. Lashley was furious. Bobby uh, was watching backstage with Bfab, and he stormed out of the picture after the bell. The Profits were obviously protected with the interference, but it didn't exactly track that Judgment Day had Ripley ringside, and Lashley didn't come down when he's been ringside for their matches before. It almost created a no-win scenario for them. But the action was exciting. It was a worthy title match for a go home show. Kevin Patrick. Was horrendous on commentary and Dawkins. He's got to change up that gear, man. It looks awful for a grade, though. I'm giving it a good.
2: Uh, they sold the the uh, sold the finish like death. Yeah, afterward too. Like he looked like like I I had to rewind. I was like, wait, did I miss something? Did they just like? Oh, so, so he just he sold it well, I guess. Um, it was fine match, fun match. You know, ultimately expected result.
0: Light, good, was worth the time. Here's the thing. I'm still not into this refreshed profits group with Lashley. I have Mm -hmm. never in my life, and I've been watching wrestling for 30 years, which is horrible to even say, but I have never seen a faction take longer to gel. This thing started, Chris, in mid-July. It's the end of November. That's four and a half months of them being aligned in some form. We've seen Lashley speaking with BFAB for a month now. Is she part of the group? Why don't they have a name other than helping the profits yeah. achieve stuff? What is Lashley's goal? There is no reason that this trio isn't working, but for me right now, it isn't working. And I hate to say it because I like all of them, but I just don't understand what they're doing with this group.
2: It it makes no sense. And actually, as you say that I'm actually switching my grade to a bad. Cause I feel like we, we need a, We need some, not everything needs to be good. And as I thought back, I just didn't care about this at all. The match was fine, but I didn't care because it, remember it took like two or three weeks after Lashley and the prophets got together and we were like, are they going to give us like a purpose and a <laughs> name here or something? And then we still basically don't have that. I still don't know what their identity is. Like, Hurt Business had an identity. We yeah. knew like what they were and what they were trying to do. Like It's been like five months of the profits trying to prove that they deserve Lashley's attention. For what reason? I don't know. Like It's bizarre that they just... I don't know if they didn't have a plan or something had to change. It's just you've been waiting and waiting for something to happen and there's just still nothing there and it's so weird. It, it's, it's a rare oversight where they don't
0: just kind of make clear what the point is. It feels like there was a huge opportunity with Roman Reigns leaving for them to take the bloodline vacuum, almost like suck all that up and be a dominant group on the program. And LWO is there, but they're not, you know, dominant in that way. They're a babyface faction. It's totally different. It really felt like they could step into that gulf and assume a lot of that responsibility, but they just haven't pulled the trigger on it. And it is the weirdest thing. Now, look, we don't know. There's things that happen, right? People get hurt. They aren't able to be on TV. Uh, planned storylines have to change for one reason or another. Could be myriad different reasons why this has happened, but it has happened. I'm not changing my grade because I thought the segment individually was good and that's what we're grading, but I am immensely frustrated by this. And let me also be very clear. Yes, we've only given goods to this point. I guess you just gave a bad. There's bads coming up. I promise you. So let's go ahead and move to the tag team turmoil. Uh, The faces got excited for the match backstage on Raw with Chad Gable announcing Otis and Akira Tazaba would team. We hoped that, that would happen and Gable would be the single so he could continue going after the Intercontinental Championship. This told us that was the case. Some musician named Jelly Roll appeared and got a pop when R-Truth misunderstood looking for actual Jelly Rolls. Now, I probably would have found this funnier if I had ever heard of the guy or seen him in my entire life. But apparently he's a big country music star. He won like Newcomer of the Year or something like that. The fans in Nashville seem to know who he was So that's good for them. I'm not criticizing the guy's appearance. I'm just saying I've literally never seen or heard of the guy in my entire life. Uh, Alpha Academy and DIY started the match with a double Caterpillar, but Tozawa ate meeting in the middle with Indusure next, getting zero reaction before or during their time in the ring, which ended with a Johnny Gargano roll-up. Gargano hit the slingshot spear on Brutus Creed and got Johnny wrestling chance, but the Creeds turned it around, hitting Brutus Ball on Gargano with New Day next. It was largely typical offense, hitting their standing flips before New Day gained momentum with an assisted backbreaker double stomp for a broken fall. I think this has a name, but I forget. Brutus took down Xavier Woods with a moonsault off the ring apron, and they combined for Brutus Ball on New Day to advance with Imperium last. Julius went on a run with a double fisherman's suplex and powerbomb of Ludovic Kaiser. Giovanni Vinci prevented Brutus Ball, but Julius jumped off Brutus's back. He slipped. He somehow slipped, fell, and then fully box jumped onto the top rope, hit a superplex on Kaiser, Brutus Ball followed with a delayed cover as the Creed Brothers won. Let me repeat, as I've said many times, Brutus Ball is a fine move. It is not a finisher. It is such a dumb way to end a match, and they did it three (laughs) times here. And every subsequent time they did it, I groaned. I was like, oh, they are so much. These guys are immensely athletic and talented. That is such a shit move. It just is dumb. There was something about this, Chris, that just did not work for me. You know I always hate the two-minute segments when you do a gauntlet or attacking turmoil, and we basically got three to start immediately, the first two being DIY wins. They got the biggest reaction of the entire match, which is what we've been hoping to hear from them, but they barely got any time to wrestle. And then the third short finish had the Creeds beating them, which was patently ridiculous when DIY is the more veteran team that actually needs to be built up and should have won this entire match. To be beaten that easily by a couple of rookies was silly. Then you have the Creeds just take down New Day, arguably the greatest champions in WWE history, and then Imperium. Don't get me wrong. They looked strong. They were immensely impressive, the Creeds were, and I love that they're being pushed. But it felt like one of the most over-pushed bookings I can remember when these guys still have a ton of growing to do and are nowhere near as over as others were in this match. Basically, the role should have been reversed it should have been the Creed starting really hot, then DIY going the distance. The crowd was fully into DIY, and this, Chris, was WWE's chance to make them as a team, but they blew it just like they blew it when Ciampa was doing the single stuff and he was in the Miz feud and they had that like no-holds-barred match and the crowd was going apeshit for him and then they had the Miz win. It was the second straight week of DIY and Johnny wrestling chance, And... You and I pointed this out last week. It's starting to work. They're starting to get over. And they didn't go with it. Super frustrating. This grade is not because I disagreed with the booking. I just really did not enjoy this as a match, at least not as much as others did. Every time something started getting over, it ended. So I'm sure many of you are going to disagree. And You are like, Silver King, what are you talking about? But for me, this was bad. I enjoyed it.
2: But I did have a lot of questions about the booking. I think your point about doing it in the reverse is the right way to do it. Have uh, have uh, the the, the creeds get a couple of wins, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe over some lower teams, but then they upset a new day or something like that and they get a big win on there and then they go the distance with somebody and lose and it's a valiant effort, but they lose. Instead, they just got wins over a ton of notable teams. So it's like the three biggest kinda, teams I, in the match. The th- they
0: beat the three yeah. best teams in the match.
2: You kind of take away the, whoa, man, the creeds just beat this team. Whoa. That's oh, They just beat this team to the next. Oh, like y- you build that over time as opposed to like, boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, right, I guess they're the best tag team in the division now. Like clearly look, they, they beat these teams in two minutes. Uh And sometimes they had the disadvantage of being the team that was in there longer. So, right. um, I, I'm creeds are awesome and they deserve to get pushed and everything. It, you're right that it did feel a little quick in that the only type of character development we've got from, from them is the backstage stuff with all these teams. And you could argue that Ivy Nile is actually getting more oh, yeah, character sure. development than the two of them are with her and Maxine Dupree. So I'm going to say light good. Cause I did enjoy it and, and I liked everybody involved. But I, you're right that I would have booked it the opposite way.
0: So the first match was three minutes. The second match was like 220. The third match was five. But if I remember correctly, that was this was Creed DIY. There was a commercial there, so it only felt like five minutes. The next match was seven. And then the last match was eight. So the last two and really, I guess, three were fine in length. But yeah, I mean, again, a gauntlet, 25 minutes and 49 seconds is the official time I'm looking at right now it should be 30 plus number one when you have that many teams. That's just to start. And then again, you're, like, you're having them beat DIY in five and beat New Day in seven. That, that just doesn't calculate with the way those teams should be getting booked. So, you know, it was probably, let me say this, and this is going to maybe shock a lot of people. It was probably the best match on the show in terms of entertainment value. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two weeks after we were talking about, I guess the last two shows being really well booked in ring, last week in particular on Raw, the best, I think I called it the best in-ring TV show of the year, at least for WWE, in terms of every single match delivering. This show, I'm just going to give you a little spoiler, was the opposite. Every single match was disappointing as far as I was concerned in terms of the, not not saying it wasn't entertaining or that nothing was entertaining, but it didn't live up to the equivalent a week ago, let's just say. And that's going to play out in my grades just going forward. Again, a little bit of a spoiler alert. Women's Tag Team Championship Chelsea Green and Piper Niven against Tiga Knox and Natalia. Green ate a liger bomb. Then she got caught flying outside eating a double suplex into the barricade. Niven then took the faces down with a cannonball off the apron, hitting the running crossbody on Knox to retain the titles. This was not a hot match, but they did get time. I think it got like nine minutes and nothing was wrong with it. My biggest issue was Knox taking the pin instead of Natty. You're trying to make one of them legitimate. The other's already a Hall of Famer. You don't need... Natty protected. She should be losing this, and Tegan should be staying strong. I'm giving it a good. I just would have changed the finish. Changed the finish in in which way? I would have had Natty take the fall instead of Tegan. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, no,
2: because I I like the finish of Piper being the one to kind of do the work. Yes, that was good. Yeah, that's that's the story they're telling with them, and I liked it because you had Chelsea Green basically like saying, "Look what I did! I won! I won!" while Piper's doing the work and holding both belts. Uh, I actually, I thought this was, uh, was enjoyable. This is what I want out of these two. Uh, so that's, that's a good.
0: Gunther told Imperium backstage he needed to see Adam and sort out the DIY issue, which explains why they didn't win the match. They're going to continue doing DIY and Imperium. Miz then got in his face, challenging for a rematch. Gunther laughed, but gave him his credit for going toe to toe with him, refusing the challenge since he already won. I'm fine with this as like a two or three week raw feud, just given there's so much time until the Royal Rumble but I would very much like to see Gunther move on to a new challenger sooner than later. Like good.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure about running these two back. um, But I will say Gunther's jacket looked great. This is a couple (laughs) weeks now. We're backstage. Uh, He looks on point. It was like a long sleeve shirt a couple weeks ago. Jacket looked great. This is much better than the tuxedo suits he's wearing in the ring. This was good.
0: I think one of the issues with Raw was like, we're just back to Gunther Miz and Rollins McIntyre, right? It's like, even though, even though Rollins McIntyre was exciting and we praised it earlier, it's like you're leaving Survivor Series. you have got two months until Royal Rumble. I want something new. And I think that's one of the things that didn't really feel like we got on Monday was newness, you know, over on SmackDown, uh, Kevin Owens guested on the Grayson Waller effect. Austin Theory did KO's entire entrance in his gear, mocking him. Then Owens showed up with Waller surprised. He was no longer suspended saying Theory looked good, but has clearly been going through his bag. They got into it with Waller angry at KO for costing him the LA Knight match, and then Owens broke the fourth wall about someone showing up in WWE if you say their name enough. Theory eventually said it like Beetlejuice, and Knight entered to a thunderous pop in Chicago, talking shit, calling Theory an A-Town clown. The heels were planning to punch the faces, but KO and LA got to them first. So we got Owens and Knight against A-Town down under, Knight banged the heels heads into the announce table simultaneously. Owens hit a Swanton Bomb, but ate a rolling dropkick and later a rolling blockbuster from Theory. Knight ran through the heels on the hot tag and did an interesting backdrop style power slam on Theory. I'm not sure if it was a move or a botch, but it was pretty cool. Knight then ran Theory into Waller, who Owens hit with a stunner before Knight dropped BFT on Theory for the one, two, three. Excellent sell Theory stood on his head, actually made the BFT look good. You already know what I liked about this. Owens being the smartest and most perceptive person in the company, and Knight getting an electric pop. But beyond that, they actually worked extremely well together from a comedy perspective. This was also the best that Waller and Theory have been as a duo, and we got a couple peeks into that old himbo Theory gimmick coming out. Pairing them has been great so far. Waller's personality is definitely rubbing off. This was not a segment that was overly important, but I thought it was a blast and a lot of fun from start to finish. It was good.
2: Yeah, a lot of fun. It was a good, it was an opportunity to have the crowd cheer for LA Knight considering he wasn't on Survivor Series, uh, which I was still surprised with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, coming out of Survivor Series now and thinking back on this, like CM Punk Kevin Owens is something we got to have in the ring at some point. Oh, not, in yes. a, not necessarily in the match, but Absolutely. in the ring, like we've that's we've never had that i mean kevin seen cm punk probably did something back in the day ring of honor days probably i don't know exactly how their timelines work out but that's something we got to have it. la night cm punk in the ring is going to be something like you can use cm punk in a lot of different ways to just continually elevate all these other people and this roster is just loaded with absolute stars right now and that's a good problem to have and the segment on smackdown was
0: fun it was good I do not believe they crossed paths in Ring of Honor. I do think they know each other, but I don't think they actually oh, oh, there was, have other no,
2: wrestlers. The there was the whole Kevin Owens thing about CM Punk saying a d- guy who wrestles in a shirt, remember? Yes, yes. They had a, they had a mini beef or something for a while. Uh, i kind of curious how that is. I, I don't think that'll come up in the storyline, but again, that's good reason.
0: It if, could, if Punk is a heel and he wants to call up, you know, hey, I'm a real superstar. You're not, you wrestle in a shirt. You know, you look how yeah. well, you know, built up I am, like, There's a lot of things they could do. So no, I do think it is possible. I just don't think they've ever wrestled, if memory serves. But, you know, someone could check that. Uh, Bronson Reed fought Ivar. Reed ate a running crossbody into the LED board with the fake, like, graphic noise that showed up. Uh, Valhalla got ejected for distracting. They botched a flip over the ropes and then botched a catch toss outside. They fought into the timekeeper's area for a double countout with Reed hitting Ivar, the Death Valley driver, into the interior of the barricade. They continued fighting into the crowd, accidentally splashing a staffer into a chair. Bronson then picked up another staffer and threw him into Ivar like a projectile, like he was Rey Mysterio. Uh, and then Ivar climbs the top of a road case and cannonballs Reed to holy shit chance, ending the entire segment. So look, there's no question what we got here. <laughs> Big media man slapping me. <laughs> That's
1: what I want. Yes.
0: But I'm going to surprise all of you. This did not work for me. It was way too slow in plotting. They botched moves. The countout was obvious. They moved like molasses at ringside. It's like they were telling us the entire time, this is not going to be the match, so we're going to move at 50%. The post-match saved it a bit. Not enough to avoid a bad grade for me.
2: Uh, I, I'm on the fence there because of the post-match. Like, if you're going to do the countout, at least do some fun stuff afterward, and they did. Um, I'm going to say light, good. It didn't feel as big, or as exciting as Bronson Reed versus Otis. Mm -hmm. But it also felt like they're trying to build to something more than that as well.
0: So I'm willing to give it some time. Let me also just say, yes, I heard from all of you. You want both of the Wade Barrett, Michael Cole meat drops added to the board. I didn't have time to do it for today's show. We had too much uh, building to do with CM Punk and making sure we hit every point. But I promise you before next week, we will have two new meat drops, including I think it was meet planets colliding. Uh, I will make sure that those are part of the soundboard future editions of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Uh, Zoe Stark fought Nia Jax. Stark backstage was frustrated, telling Shayna Baszler how close she came to beating Ripley. Jax popped in saying she'd have gotten the job done and everyone should be on notice. Baszler snapped back and then Stark challenged her. Zoe kicked Nia off the ropes and hit a springboard dropkick. Jax came back with a Samoan drop and sent on before hitting Annihilator for the win in seven minutes. Not taking away from Jax and Raquel Rodriguez putting on a shockingly good match last week, this did not hit anywhere near the same way. And the idea of Zoe being strong enough to challenge and push Rhea, only to lose to Nia unceremoniously two nights later, it did not work for me. I don't think the match accomplished much of anything unless they are building Nia to be the challenger for Becky, for them to fight. Then I could see that making sense. But even so, I wish Jax had done something to give Zoe an excuse. Instead, she just beat her clean. I thought it was bad.
2: Yeah, they're clearly building nigh towards something. I mean, she beats Raquel last week, Zoe this week. We, you know, you bought into it last week because it was Raquel trying to do a feat of strength and just being unable to do it. Zoe never, Z- Zoe's a much smaller person. She can't come into that. And you're kind of just setting the tone that she's not going to have a shot against, um, bigger, bigger people after taking Rhea to the limit. So like you could work around with Rhea, but Nia Jax just has a presence. You can't work around. Uh, you can't out, you, you can't outsmart, you know, someone that physically imposing, basically, I think is the story they're trying to tell. So like, I think it worked to set up Nia.
0: I just don't care about Nia. And
2: so I'm giving that a bad.
0: Brawling Brutes fought pretty deadly. Butch did the full entrance, but Ridge Holland stormed past him clearly in a mood after last week. This continued as Holland straight left the ringside area and walked to the back after they both hit 10 beats. Deadly hit an assisted gut buster, but Butch actually hit Elton Prince with a bro kick and bitter end. However, Kit Wilson blind tagged, took Butch out of the fall with a crucifix pin, and then they ran away with the victory. Obviously, this was all about the storytelling, but even the wrestling aspect and the way the match was paced, for me, it worked. Ironic that I was just praising the Brutes for really coming together well as a team and now they're doing this storyline. But I have to assume, I think I mentioned this last week or two weeks ago, they're probably doing the angle with the idea of Sheamus coming back and reuniting them. There's also Gallus hanging out there in NXT. They could be a factor, but this was good.
2: Yeah, it was good. I hope the Brutes don't break up because honestly, I don't know if either of them are are worth doing on their own. Like The Brutes is such a good gimmick. I know it's been going on for a while, but it's been really enjoyable and good and they work well together. And so Uh, I hope it's not a breakup, but I also like that Butch got some offense and, you know, he didn't just get squashed on a one on two. It was a fighting, you know, fighting to the end type
0: of deal. So, uh, yeah, good. Now that does mark the end of the good, the bad and the ugly. Chris did have to dip right there, but he got through the entire show. I appreciate it. I wanted to share two more things before we get out of here. First, a fun random note. Uh, Dixie Carter, the former head of TNA wrestling was backstage at raw last night which means in the year of our Lord 2023, on an episode of Raw, we had Cody Rhodes, CM Punk, Nick Aldis, and Dixie Carter all backstage at the same time. Could, I, could you imagine if I told you all of that two years ago? Those three are backstage. Jade Cargill is in WWE. LA Knight is the most over babyface. EO Sky leads a faction with Bayley. The Rock came back. Stone Cold Steve Austin had a match. Like You would flip your shit and ask what parallel universe we were living in. So I thought that was all really fun. Now, initially, I did not plan on doing any edition of The Last Word just because this show has gone on so long, but I am gonna hit the button real quick and you'll hear why in a moment. Now, I don't exactly have a question specifically for this segment. We have a ton that are in our archives. And I promise you, uh, we will hit the last word every single week going forward like we always do. But so many of you over the last like two months have asked me if I watched the show Wrestlers on Netflix. And unfortunately, uh, the subscription that I was using, the way I was accessing Netflix, expired. Clearly, it was a friend's account. And I didn't have the opportunity to finish watching it. Well, I was able to finally finish watching it. And since so many of you have previously asked questions, I thought it was a worthy last word topic let me just say I loved the show, and I thought it was expertly done from start to finish, every episode, the way they profiled the wrestlers, the way they explained the truth about OVW and Al Snow. Obviously, there's the really unique aspect of Matt Jones, who is one of the OVW owners, who's famously Kentucky Sports Radio. That's what he's known as. So we're in the industry with him to a significant degree. I've never met him, um, but I thought they really humanized him in this show. You know, they they really put him initially when he showed up as like this real hard ass owner who people hated because he wasn't part of the industry, but they showed, and this is so important to realize, not just about him, but about people and life in general is people have things going on in their lives that you just don't know about. And you just can't predict it, or you criticize someone for being a certain way, but you don't know why they are that way. And clearly when it comes to him, it was that seizure aspect, which you just couldn't help, but feel for the guy. And that he has to go through that and he tries to brush it off as it's not a big deal, but everyone around him is scared when they see it happen. Like, man, that emotional moment. Um, But beyond him, the other wrestlers that they talked about, Al Snow, of course, was the star of the entire thing. I just, I absolutely loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. And it actually hurt me that I wasn't able to just finish watching it when I was initially watching it. I saw everything except the final episode. So I was left on this cliffhanger about the big one and like what was going to happen. I really hope they continue this. I want it to have multiple seasons. It's very hard knock style, but obviously just with one organization, OVW. I hope the characters change. You know, Holly Hood, Haley J. I know in many ways she was the star of it. I don't see what's so special there. I just don't. Um, Mr. Pectacular, Jesse Goddard's That popped me not because of Jesse, um, and and the wrestling aspect of Jesse, but I'm a huge fan of Big Brother. I've been watching that show literally since the first season. So I know him from Big Brother first, the fact that he was on there seeing Layla Gray and how she was working there and then eventually got the call to sign with AEW. By the way, she's disappeared. We never see her on AEW TV anymore. We should. She's actually really good. There's a lot of elements about it that I loved. They talked about money problems the entire show, but clearly the Netflix documentary, one assumes, infused them with cash which was helping make the money not a problem, right? Because they were getting paid for doing that. So I thought that was a little bit strange. But I would love now to see a season two with them gaining popularity from Netflix. If attendance goes up, what happens with Al Snow? And just everything. I loved the show, it was fantastic. One of the best wrestling shows I've ever seen. I have not seen Monster Factory yet on Apple TV+. I will watch that. That's one of the next things on my list. Very excited about it. But I just thought they knocked this out of the park. I wanted to say as much. If you have not seen the wrestlers on Netflix, It is totally worth it, even for a one month subscription to subscribe and watch all the episodes or there's other ways you can get them. You think you guys know what I'm talking about. Definitely worth a watch. And let me wrap it up on this. The main event of the big one, the Al Snow match against the guy who's like the co-host of Matt Jones Radio Show, expertly booked. Like I'm not gonna give it a five-star match or anything like that. But from a booking standpoint, they nailed it. Al Snow absolutely nailed it. That thing was awesome, super entertaining. Um, And the finale of the show itself, The Wrestler Show, was great as well, left you wanting more. So that wraps up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I'm glad I finally got a chance to address that. Just so everyone knows what's coming up here, on Thursday we'll be back with our AEW and NXT episode. If you missed it, don't forget to go listen to our WWE Survivor Series War Games Instant Analysis Podcast waiting for you in the archives. Let me also remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is on! About the So please leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify On Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. Please also remember... I happen to love the number five and i hope you do as well because for five dollars a month or 50 for the entire year you can become an official getting overhead just visit buymeacoffee.com getting over sign up you get bonus audio the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling you get exclusive news posts and like i said i gave you guys a couple freebies over the weekend. There's the go home for Survivor Series audio. There's a news post with some other analysis that we posted on Monday. Those are free. Test it out. We appreciate it. We have a Cyber Monday deal going all the way, like I said, Wednesday at midnight. Sign up, support the show. We would greatly appreciate it that is it for this edition of the getting over wrestling podcast hopefully we provided as much performance enhancing audio for your ear holes as you could stand for vintage chris vanini this is the silver king adam silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words bye for now